Welcome to the Retro Blood. You are all my children now. You want to know what happens to an eyeball when it's You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Michael. Stop the rage. Ah, such easy prey. Let her go! Oh, I will. Beyond her wildest dreams, she will go into my mind, and I will go into hers. It's the greatest sensual pleasure there is. You never knew pleasure, or David, only pain. <laughs> Get me back, my <laughs> Don't be afraid. No, be afraid. Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood. As we continue our Mad Scientist Month here on the Retro Blood. Up next, if you all like green neon serum, if you like scientific talk about brains and wheels and shit like that, if you like a really cool actor named Herbert, who is like this like weird nerdy but cool guy at the same time, and if you like Dr. Hill with his head torn off and he's trying to get him some hairy pussy, this is a Retro Blood review for you, brother, because we're talking all about Reanimator, brother. You didn't think I was going to sneak yeah. in that uh, that line, didn't you, right there, huh? That was a good one. No, I knew you would. I knew I knew <laughs> that was coming. Talking about the Reanimator. I, we, no, we've been waiting to do this one for a long, long time. Um, you yeah, know, yeah I, we have. I, I, you know, at the intro, I always have a couple, um, you know, horror movie... Uh, you know, famous lines, and this one's been there since the beginning, so I'm super excited about talking about Reanimator, but, I mean, we got a ton of talked about on this episode. I mean, there is just yeah. so much going on in the world of metal music, in the world of pro wrestling, in the world of horror movies, going around 1985, we're around the uh, October of 19, bro, October of 1985 is mm. one of the craziest years, like, like there's so much going on here. Like it, it's just like it's it's just crazy. Yeah, October of 1985 was definitely one of the craziest years. It was definitely definitely crazy. Well, we got uh, we got huge news in wrestling, <laughs> huge news in metal, and huge news in uh, uh, well, Reanimator. Which I don't know if it was Re-animator. huge at the time, but you know this this film became a, a fan favorite over time, which I can uh, which I could see why. <laughs> it's definitely a fun cult, one. Cult classic. Cult classic, yeah. brother. But let's get on to it because we just have so much to talk about. So we're going to jump right into our history segment here on the yeah. Retro Blood as I open up my can of energy drink here because I'm going to need a lot of energy yeah. for this one, brother. Yeah, I got a, yeah, I got a, I got my coffee ready and I, I made a Bloody Mary oh, in the nice. morning. So You're ready, ready to party, to brother. You're ready, ready to get it going. We're ready to go. I got me some. Yeah, uh, you want to do? Go yeah. ahead. I got me no, some no, white go I got me some white oh, peach oh, energy man. drink, so I'm ready to go, brother. But um, yeah. so the uh, the we're talking about you no know, every retro blood for anybody who's new here. We don't only like to talk about you know the horror movie that's on the marquee of the link mm-hmm. that you clicked on, but we also like to talk about what's going on in two of our favorite subjects, which is wrestling yep. and metal. And we talk, yep. we kind of like create a weekend for everybody over here. So you know, we're not only going to be watching Reanimator, going to the theater, or wherever the hell this thing was shown at. Uh, we're also going to be checking out some pro wrestling, and we're going to be listening to some metal music, kind of creating ourselves like a big party. 
Um, but the uh, the month we're talking about is October eighteenth uh, of nineteen eighty. Yep, nineteen eighty five. First for the pro wrestling. Let's get into the. Uh, well, which one do you want to do first, Allison? Because there's so much to talk about. Do you want to do the wrestling first, or do you want to do the metal? I was thinking we could do metal first okay. because it's actually going to take less time. I think. Yes. But there is a uh, two big releases at this time. And I'm going to give it week. to you. Yes, I'm going to give it to you, Allison, because one of the bands, I know, we already know that you already know everything about them. And the next band is a, a very interesting band as well, too, that's still touring to this day. So can you give us some insight of what we're going to be listening to? Yeah. So um, like, I was, like I was said before, this is a huge, huge week in metal and in wrestling and in movies for the likes of us. Um so I think I've told the story before, but the first real metal album that I ever bought by my own choice was um, Iron Maiden's Live After Death, which is their live album that they recorded on their World Slavery Tour, which was um, uh, supporting the Power Slave album. And I didn't know what Iron Maiden sounded like when I bought this. I had no idea. Um, it was something that I had seen, um, like older, older people, like I was a kid, like I was like 10 years old when this happened. So I'd seen like older kids wearing like Iron Maiden shirts and I thought they looked cool with the, with Eddie on them and like the zombie Eddie symbol, symbol type stuff. And, and the power slave stuff, the Egyptian looking stuff looked really cool. And then I'd save my money and I was going into roses to buy a cassette like I often did when I had money and I found Iron Maiden's live after death. And it's the one that had the, that cover is it has that like blue kind of purplish cover with, with Eddie coming out of the grave. Yeah. And with the yellow, like writing on the top of it. And I'm like, this, this looks really cool. Turn it over. looked at the song titles. It had a lot of songs on it. So it looked like it was a good value. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy this. So I bought that. And I remember meeting back up with my mom getting in the car, putting it in my Sony Walkman, and as soon as Aces High played the first track on the album, I was blown away. And I knew from that moment on that I was going to be a metalhead. That was the moment I can remember, specifically the moment that that happened. I love this album. This is maybe maybe my favorite album of all time. If I could only pick one album to listen to for the rest of my life, it would be this album. I, I love this. I love this album. It's so good. I remember making you listen to it when we went to uh, AEW. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I made you listen to uh, did you listen to it, and your comment was, well, they can play their instruments. <laughs> well, you know, like, so, you know, I don't mind the Iron Man. I was actually listening to some of this because I knew we were going to be talking about it. You know, like, yeah. they're not my preferred choice of a band, but, but I could see why a lot of people like them because they are very... Like, I mean, you know, we talked about this, We even when we were listening to this CD, you know, or this album, mm-hmm. you know, when a band can sound like this live, I mean, you know, they're good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, a lot of times you buy an, uh, an album or, or, or a song track from a band and, you know, like, man, these guys are great. And you go see them live. You're like, okay, well, that's a very, like, a little different, you know? Um. But, you know, when when a band is not only good on their albums, but also good live as well, too, that's when you know they're hitting on all cylinders. 
Yeah. And, I, and of course they and, were doing this. It just like, you know, the, right. I think it's just like the preferred, I, I just haven't broke, broke down my barriers of listening. I call it power metal. I guess this would be kind of like that or is, journey metal power. or something. I would call that power. Yeah. Out, it's not journey metal. I, I, not journey, uh, but like, you know, okay. are you going on a journey? This would be like, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I was about to say, this is going to be the last episode of the record. <laughs> no, no. Breaking up not, drug, not, not the journey. <laughs> Like you're going on, like you're going on, like a, like a, you know, like you're going on a journey to like a, a, a battle or something, like a forest. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would consider Iron Maiden power metal for sure. I mean, yeah. I, w- I would say so. Power metal. Uh, I think we created the term journey metal, but yeah. So it is, it is also journey metal. Yes. Um, but it's and also like you're talking about how good they are live. I mean, so another thing too about live albums is very often, in fact, most of the time. Parts of live albums were re-recorded in a studio afterwards to create to fix any any mistakes that were made, but supposedly this one is just a straight live recording mixed up of the two nights that they played at Long Beach. So, because I've heard them say that even if they wanted to go back and re-record it, that they wouldn't have had time in 1985 to do it. Yeah. So, this supposedly is just a straight live recording of Iron Maiden, what they sounded like over those two nights. And I mean, it's this out. I can't. I can't even put into words, which is bad because this is a podcast about words. But mm-hmm. um, it it's. I can't even put into words how good this is. It's just. It's so good. Like every song is good. They picked the best songs for this. I mean, this was the show they were playing. Plus, uh, this the fourth side or well, fourth side on the record, but the second side on the on the cassette had songs that they recorded earlier in the tour that weren't played at Long Beach. But it's so good. It's so it's just it's perfect. I mean, it's it to me. It's literally perfect. Yeah, and, and by I, by I, the uh, by the time this album came out, I mean they're already pretty big. Into like huge, one, yeah. two, three, four. Uh, this is about five albums already. So I guess yeah. they're they're cherry picking from a good amount of uh, good amount of songs right there. Yeah, and this is probably as big as Iron Maiden ever was. I'd say from here into somewhere in time. And then after somewhere in times when they kind of started their decline into the nineties, but this is like this and then 80, 86 and into 87, I guess is, is as big as Iron Maiden ever got. And they were, they were just, they were on top of the world. They, they were like one of the, they were you, like the Metallica of their day. You didn't like seventh son of the seventh son. No, I, I actually did like that. album. I forgot, I forgot that happened. <laughs> They cool <laughs> that just left person. my mind about that. album. But yeah, I, I did. I actually didn't like that. album as much. When it came out, um, as I like it now, because I didn't, I didn't really like how keyboard heavy they got. Yeah, um, which they started on somewhere in time, but um, I like that album a lot better now than I liked it then. But yeah, in in the seventh son of a seventh son, they were still really, really big, and then after that, they kind of started their decline into the nineties. Um, you know, grunge probably didn't help that a lot too, because they were, you know, Iron Maiden is definitely a. A, a, an 80s they're definitely an 80s band yeah. so like you know anything that was like you know when when the 80s became not popular or it became uncool to to listen to stuff that was 1980s then they kind of they kind of suffered from that a little bit too even though they're definitely not hair hair a hair band by any stretch of the imagination um but yeah this album is great um i remember also this took a little while probably a few years but i ended up getting the vhs tape of the concert which i still have somewhere um and then i bought it again on dvd but 
Um, but yeah, so I, I didn't actually, I had seen pictures when you unfolded this cassette though, it unfolded into this really, really long booklet type thing. <clears throat> so long booklet like type thing. And it had pictures from the concert and like, you could see Eddie as the mummy, uh, you know, over top of them, the big, um, King Tut mask in the back and just how cool it all looked. But seeing it on video was even cooler. And um, I mean, it's just, it's a great show. I'm, I'm sure it's on YouTube. If anybody wants to watch it, maybe we'll uh, post on the Facebook, the Retro Blood Facebook, some clips of the show. But I mean, it's, 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 it's fantastic. I mean, I can't, I can't overstate how good this is. Very good uh, track we'll be listening to. I know we'll be listening to on the, <clears throat> in the Trans Am on repeat, brother, over and over Absolutely. again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, of course, you know, Iron Maiden, they're also known for their, uh, like you were saying, like their, their fantastic um, album covers. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. probably have some of the best album covers of any band. I agree. Like, in history, pretty much. But uh, what... Yeah, Dan... Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, Dan Riggs was like a... Um, Dan Riggs, is that his name? Riggs. Riggs was like a... Uh, I can't remember his first name. Riggs was like a... Uh, he was like an early Iron Maiden artist. They created, I believe he created Eddie and he drew a lot, most of their early material, including around this time. So, uh, yeah, he did, a, he did a lot of work for them and he definitely contributed to this band. Like if they didn't have that imagery, I mean, the band was great, but if they didn't have that imagery that I don't think they would have gotten as big as they were. I mean, it's like a, it's, it's, it just goes hand in hand. I believe. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That means he got good gimmicks, brother. I like it. Good gimmicks. So Speaking about another band also too that also released their first CD around this mm-hmm. time of October of 1985. Uh, another band t- that today is still touring as well. Not only is Iron Maiden still going at it, you know, this band as well too. And that band is going to be Possessed. Yep. So can you tell us a little bit about the Possessed and their album? The, what is it? Seven Churches? Seven Churches, yeah. So Possessed, this album came out. Um, so actually, I've had, I've got differing dates for this. I've seen that it came out in 1985. I mean, uh, 1985, that's what we're talking about. November 4th of 1985, but I've also seen October 18th of 1985. And since there's not any other horror movies to, to talk about in November, which yeah. I researched of 85, we're going to talk about it now because this is an important album. So possessed is they're a bay area band so they came out of um you know they were kind of part of the bay area thrash scene i guess you could say like where testament came from in exodus and metallica would move to uh the bay area and and become part of that um but they they kind of came out of that scene but they a lot of people consider seven churches the first death metal album ever released which i didn't get into this album until much much later but it is interesting that people say that because i mean i i, I see why they say that because it's definitely it's definitely a step beyond what thrash was you know like with especially with the vocals he kind of sings like a death metal singer it doesn't really have the uh, as much of the high-pitched vocals like chuck billy from testament would have or really early James Hetfield, or the guys in Exodus, or any of those bands, Death Angel, those guys. Um, but it still has that kind of thrash sound. Yeah, you know, like the metal still has that thrashy um, sound to it. 
Um, I don't know how to describe what that is. Like there, there's a thing that thrash metal has that no other kind of metal has that, that kind of like almost a, like an iron maiden galloped kind of to it that just yeah. gives you like this, like real, real groovy rhythm. And it like when it's slow, like it'll slow down into what we would call a breakdown now to like a breakdown. And it would just be slow, you know, regular, not slow, slow, but slower than it had been not double time, but like regular time. And then it would be, you know, into this like, kind of like, chuggy like little thing that would go and then there would be a vocal and then it would get fast again yeah um you know i also so, noticed it had you know like this, this it also kind of reminded me a little bit it had you know what, what black metal kind of did as well too where we had yeah. especially when they recorded it onto the on you know when they're doing the recording it had that little bit mm -hmm. of like it sounded like a little bit like a what like a wavy negative you know it's kind of over yes. it if you, if you know what I'm saying. I'm not the most music guy around here when it comes to like music tones, but yeah. there's something that black metal bands do, and this one did too, where it feels like it's like this like sound in the background that's kind of like a, like this little negative in the back, and it kind of just makes it yeah. like a little bit like creepier. Like there's like almost like this white noise in the background. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I'm not sure exactly what you would call that either, but yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a thing. Um and then, of course, you know, death metal would come become cemented with, um, you know, Death's Scream Bloody Gore album, which came out a couple of years later, which is what I'd always consider to be the first death metal band, the first death metal album. But really, Possessed kind of started it beforehand. Um, another cool thing about Possessed, <clears throat> as you mentioned, they are um, they are still playing today, but I think the singer is the only original member, yeah, or the only member that played on Seven Churches that's in there, but. One guy played on Seven Churches that a lot of people will find interesting, and that's Larry Lalonde. So Larry Lalonde is an incredible guitar player who, a few years after this, would join Primus. So, oh. and he's in Primus today, even. So he would he he went from this band to being Primus's guitar player. Wow, what a switch! Which I think is really, which hmm. is yeah, exactly. What a switch! Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but you know, like he played guitar on this album, played all the leads. Um, but yeah, this is a really important, it's just an important album in death metal history and in metal history in general. Um, I mean, it's not the best album in the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I listen to it, I'm just like, yeah, there's a lot better albums than this. And there would be a lot better albums that would come out recently or right, right soon after this too. But you could see where this was leading into like what we would become what we call now old school death metal yeah um it was kind of leading into that sound i mean what were your thoughts other than that when you listen to it other than the like kind of a the black metal undertone this was definitely a huge influence on black metal bands. oh yeah too, definitely just well obviously with the name and then the title tracks i mean <laughs> the, the definitely black metal when it comes there so when i was listening to it i was like, okay you know you can you can see or you can hear or rather you can hear like the thrash yeah. sound that they're they're kind of going for in there. I don't think they were as fast as like some other thrash bands I've heard before. True, um, yeah. but actually the the one thing that popped out to me about the couple of tracks, like the, the main singer, you could tell that this guy was a big fan of Motorhead because he yes. sounded very. He didn't. I didn't say he sounded exactly like Lemmy, but his vocal tracks were very similar to the style that Lemmy likes to do. Very rugged. Yeah, I would agree. Very rugged yeah. style on there. Um, you know, just uh, it just it's just very rugged style that they have going on there. So it's not like what you hear like what what death metal would, would transform into with the uh, 
what, the, what I like to call the growling. But this mm. one still had like the the rough vocals, like like the uh, I smoked a couple packs of cigarettes, brother, and right. I came out here and was talking to you now. Okay, right, yeah, the growling. I mean, the first time I ever heard that death metal growl was probably Scream Bloody Gore, which is the first death album. But you could tell, like, like if you listen to Testament, you know, with Chuck Billy's kind of high, uh, higher pitched vocals, and then you go, which is kind of what metal sounded like before this. Like this was like. Uh, like this was like a a watershed moment in metal like because you know like metal metal was known for that high-pitched vocal that's like the uh that's like the stereotype the thing that people make fun of when they make fun of heavy metal the high-pitched vocal um you know and the thrash bands did that too i mean chuck billy sang high like i mentioned before but like this is like the first it's not a it's not a death metal growl that you know that you can it's definitely not that but you're right it does have that lemmy motorhead like low but it, low growly singing. So it's yeah. not a death metal growl, but you can see where they're getting to that level. Um, I really feel like the early Morbid Angel material, like the first couple of Morbid Angel albums were, were heavily influenced by this too. Oh yeah, um, definitely. But yeah. And I love how it starts off with the uh, Exorcist theme. Yeah. The tubular bells or whatever that's Yeah, I was going to say that... Um, um, like, like you could tell they were going for like the you know, obviously the demonic church uh, type of thing, but you could tell they're going for like yeah. demon possession, <laughs> obviously with the the band. So that's like kind of like their format was that. But yeah, that was really cool starting out with the Exorcist theme in there. I was like, okay, okay, we're getting it started here. <laughs> yeah, their band's called Possessed, and all their songs are about possession. Yeah, <laughs> most part. <laughs> so we're keeping the gimmick alive, brother. Keeping you know, the gimmick alive. <laughs> we're gonna trick you over here. You know exactly what you're getting. <laughs> but yeah we'll play a couple we'll play a track after this uh reanimator review of some some possessed everybody show you guys what they're about so you know very important band in metal history um helping form what we actually hear today so so speaking of that of what we see in here today let's get into the pro wrestling brother because we have a lot to yeah. talk about especially when it comes to the world of mid-atlantic Jim Crockett Promotions, uh, 1985. Boy, there, this is uh, this is probably one of the most important, I would say, angles that's ever been placed in Mid Atlantic, yes. and it definitely or got in them wrestling. or in wrestling. And this angle right here spawned probably, if not the most important group of wrestling, one of the most important group of wrestling of all time, the Four mm. Horsemen. And it all kind of was like starting off with this particular episode that we watched. So you can find this episode on the cock, Peacock, everybody. Mm. Just, look, just look up Mid-Atlantic. You're going to look for October 19th, 1985. So, yes. oh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say yes. That it's uh, October 19th, 1985. Yes. Yes. Did you find it on the cock there, Allison? I did. I watched it on the cock. Do you think do you think Herbert West is a big fan of Peacock? I I have a feeling that he is, yes. Okay. I think he likes the I think he likes the the, the peacock. But he likes. want to re he want to resurrect the peacock. Anyway. <laughs> to resurrect, reanimate the peacock. So we've talked about a little bit on this show many times about Mid Atlantic mm -hmm. and their style. 
So this wasn't the the normal um, Saturday night show that they had six oh five. They're in studio wrestling. This wasn't that. This was basically we are filming at our normal arenas, and but we're still doing squash matches because boy, was yeah. there some squash matches on this fucking show. Holy shit! Yeah, like, some of them I didn't even have time to take notes about. No. Um, but yeah, this show was filmed in the Omni in Atlanta. Yes, uh, on September the 29th, and it aired on uh, the uh, 19th. So it was yes. so it was weird that they filmed the stuff so way in advance, like yeah. weeks. Yeah, weeks and you weeks know what I mean? and stuff. Yeah. So we start off the show with <laughs> so if you really like know what's going on, you're just like, okay, what the hell? This, what what did I what did I turn into? <laughs> it's like a hand camera video. Of them getting yeah. onto a jet, and you just see dusty roads all in pain and shit, and, and then you got Magnum Ti, uh, this fucking Ta Magnum <laughs> T every fucking time, Magnum Ta Wait. you got him there, all right, helping out Dusty in there. Yeah. So then, then now we're going to an interview with Magnum Ta, and so so basically there is an angle that the, the yeah. whole let's just get into it so the whole show is basically placed on this huge angle that happened in september but we're kind of showing the audience the worldwide audience the footage on this particular date right. so what it was and you can you can bring give me some more backstory here in a second allison but what, basically what it was we had a a nwa championship match we had rick flair versus nikita koloff the russian sickle brother all right yep. Inside a solid steel cage. And, you know, we didn't really see the match or anything. And I believe, I believe at this time, I'm not sure if Ric Flair was like a, so I'm, I believe he was a baby face, but he might've been one of them, the, one of the first ever, what do they call them? Uh, uh, tweeners in wrestling. Tweeners, maybe. Where a tweener is basically, you're a bad guy and a good guy at the same time. Okay. In wrestling. Yeah. Which is very rare for this particular era of wrestling. You know, this particular area, we have solid good guys, we have solid bad guys. So basically, you know, yeah. Ric Flair, after he won the belt from Harley Race, he was, you know, very popular, mm. very beloved character, but he always had like a very arrogance to him, you know? That yes. a lot of people like. And you can, you can see the arrogance growing and growing and growing over time. So. You know, so basically, Ric Flair was fighting off the evil Russians. He he beat, um, he beat him, and after that, then we had the uh, the Russians attack him. We had um, Nikolai Volkov, Ivan Koloff, and Krusher Kerfick. What was it? Krusher what? Krusher, Krusher, Crusher. Is so it's Ivan Koloff. Yeah. Nikita Koloff, and Crusher Khrushchev was the third yeah, one. Yeah, Crusher Khrushchev. Yeah, he's like Crusher Khrushchev. Yeah, he's like the. He's like the kind of the forgotten Russian. Yeah, so like I th when if you asked me like any day, like if you just walked up to me and said, Who are the Russians in Crockett promotions, I would have said Nikita and Ivan Koloff. Yeah. But if there is Crusher Khrushchev who I'll often forget about. Yes. So he's holding the door closed. Yeah, he's holding the door closed on the cage. And then we have um Nikita and we have Ivan beaten for Flair's ass. But then Dusty Rhodes comes out, mm -hmm. which I believe at this time. Like Dusty and Flair, like you know, they they've been known not to like each other. But you know, like I said, at this time Ric Flair was kind of like a little bit of a baby face. So Dusty comes in there and helps him out. You know, what I mean, because yeah. he, he doesn't like the Russians either. Because he, he, I think that he's a baby face. So Flair is an odd. He's an exception. Yes. 
So Flair has always been, even when he's a heel, he's always been so popular that people still like him, yeah. which I guess is what a tweener is. Yeah. But like, so I, I never thought of that, but I guess Ric Flair is like the ultimate tweener. You know, mm-hmm. um, Austin, uh, Steve Austin would become kind of a tweener a little bit later before he became a baby face. Yeah. But, but basically the way wrestling worked then was, which is different than it is now is you don't, you didn't have really, you didn't really have people cheering for heels. And that's one of the things that you hear Jim Cornette complain about all the time with wrestling today is that the heels are supposed to be hated. You're supposed to boo the heels and you're supposed to cheer the baby faces. You know, you're supposed to have good guy versus bad guy. Um, and it can never be anything else according to Jim Cornette. But, um, but flair, I don't know how he explains flair because flair was definitely cheered by a lot of people. Oh yeah. But he was also hated by a lot of people. Whereas Dusty was just for the whole career time that I watched wrestling, I know in the seventies he was a heel. Yeah. But like Dusty was like the ultimate baby face. Yes, pretty much. You know, he's like, you know, kind of like Cody Rhodes is now. Like, you know, his son's doing that now, where he's like, you know, Cody cries in the ring, kind of yeah. crying Cody is the baby face Cody, right? So he's like, he's just, you know, he's the ultimate baby face. And I think Flair hated Dusty for what he what he was because he was everything that Flair wasn't. You know, he was like the working man. Yeah. Um and Flair was the custom tailor made suit wearing man, as he tells us all the time. But I think when it comes to the Russians, like especially during this time in history, um, because I remember this specifically being being a thing, is like people were really, really concerned about like nuclear war and you know, not not unlike how it is today, actually, because that's kind of a thing that's coming back, right? So now, people, but back then, like you know, you could die at any moment. Like like you know, in schools, we were we were doing nuclear war drills, where we were hiding under desks and things like that, as if a desk is going to stop a nuclear bomb or whatever. But um, but you know that everybody hated the Russians. The Russians were absolutely evil. The Soviet Union was absolutely evil, and. That's why they used them as bad guys in wrestling. And no matter how bad of a bad guy you were, you weren't more of a bad guy than the Russians were. So I think that's why this happened is because, you know, Flair is fighting the Russians because everybody hates the Russians even more than they hate the heels. They're like the ultimate heels. So, you know, and so Dusty came out to say Flair, not because he liked him, but because it was the right thing to do. Yes. And I'm saying, right. And then I also, I also obviously, you know, at this particular point in history of wrestling, of American wrestling, you know, we just got done with WrestleMania. Okay. Yeah. So that was one of the biggest events in American pro wrestling was the first WrestleMania. So, you know, so, so Jim, you know, obviously Jim Crockett, like we said many times on this show, is pretty much like the number two promotion. And they have to figure out something to to get their biggest show, Starcade, up and running. So that's why they created yeah, they this do. angle. And so, you know, besides Flair, you know, like we were saying before, kind of being like this little bit of a tweener role, like, you know, the Russians are the baddest guys and, you know, Ric Flair is still a bad guy, but he's also like, you know, he's, he's finally fighting heels yeah. now. You know, this is like, this is a totally reverse. So we're going to have to, we're, we're basically, we're going to have to heat up Ric Flair to be the ultimate villain now. And we're going to make Dusty be the ultimate baby face so we could sell this match coming up at Starcade. So, yep. Dusty is now in the cage, and then he fights off all the Russians. They go away. But then we have the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, which I still think is one of the coolest tag team names. That is, 
That is cool. (laughs) I mean, come on. That is cool. We need that back, brother. Okay. (laughs) So there, that is Ole Anderson and Arn Anderson's. And I love it how I was like, oh, that's just uh, Ric Flair's cousins. I was like, what? Is Ric Flair (laughs) even from Minnesota? Like, well, how did that happen? Well, (laughs) he he actually, well, he's technically not, but he, so Ric Flair was adopted, but he did grow up in Minnesota. Okay. Um, But Arn Anderson is not. We actually this yeah. this episode is kind of like a sequel to episode two of the Retro Blood. Yes. Where we talked about now in Elm Street Part Two, uh, which came out two weeks after this um episode. But we didn't mention any of this stuff at the time for some reason. I went back and listened to it. Um archives, archives, everybody. Yeah. Check us out in the archives, <laughs> um, brother. Yeah, back when we uh, had our horrible sound. But uh excuse that people. But anyway, we didn't talk about this for some reason. Uh, well, we kind of did a little bit, but yeah. um but um but yeah so uh, where was that oh yes so um this was leading into starcade and uh he, yeah he mentions that uh they were the aren't the andersons were rick flair's cousins yes um and the andersons were brothers but when you hear uh, arn anderson talk you can definitely tell he is not from minnesota yes so they start beating down dusty they're like everybody's like what the fuck you know like why is this happening rick flair was like not running dusty's help at all so they start beating them dusty beating them dusty and then now mm-hmm. they're going after his ankle to try to cripple yeah. the man. And at first I was like, so you see like Ric Flair on the, like the top rope and stuff. And he keeps telling him that move his, move his leg, move his leg. And they're like not moving it to the right place. He wants it. So he actually gets <laughs> off the rope, pushes him back, beats him up. And then, and then moves here, his leg. I want the leg to be right here. <laughs> I was like, bro, it's like, this shit's not on the fly. I mean, come on. It's great. And then he gets up there and he does his little leaping uh, knee drop on the, on the ankle. And then we just had yeah. this whole, th- bro, like, I-, I remember hearing a um, a documentary that Arn Anderson was talking about this, and you can see it yeah. for yourself. He was all like, bro, when that angle, when that happened, and we, like, broke Dusty's ankle in that ring, you could see them trying to leave a couple times. They're like, I'm not going out there. These fans mm-hmm. were insane. They were, like, fucking, yeah, like, yeah. so close to the ring. Like, maybe, maybe, like, they could probably touch the fucking steel cage with their hands. Like you yeah, there's see, no barricade. Yeah, no barricade. You could see like a couple of wrestlers trying to get in. Um, they just kind of like you know get them out. Like there's there's some baby face wrestlers that try to come in and kind of help a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, Terry Taylor, uh, Magnum TA was out there trying to help. Uh, but you know the the Dusty and and, and uh, Andersons were beating them off and stuff. But you could see at one point that Ric Flair and Andersons were supposed to leave, and like they couldn't even get out of the front door of the cage because the fans were so rapid. So they basically had yeah. to like push and beat their way through these fans just to get out of there. And I remember Arn Anderson saying like, "Bro, I thought we were gonna get like he thought they were gonna die because he said these fans are screaming and rapping so much they thought they was gonna pull and bite our hairs off and everything." And you could see it yeah. too when they're kind of like going through like the crowd, like there's all these security people around them stuff trying to people are like trying to like you know it, it, they almost started a riot in here. It was so like fucking yeah. passionate. I mean. I mean, if you watch it, it's, like, one of the most, like, intense. Like, if you put yourself back, you know, obviously we see, you know, later on in history we see a little bit more gruesome-style injuries in wrestling. You know, obviously when it happened to Dusty. But when it comes to, like, the fans and how they're reacting and, like, the chaos, like, this is, like, one of the most chaotic, like, scenes in wrestling that you can see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, back then, so wrestling, I know we talk about this a lot, but I don't think people under from today understand like how different wrestling was then. Like wrestling was one of the only sports, if you want to call it a sport, that the South had. So it had basically had NASCAR and it had wrestling. 
Yeah. Like the Panthers didn't exist. The Falcons were there, but um, you know, the 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 Panthers didn't exist. Um, you know, so there's not really local NFL teams to watch. So you went to wrestling and like these people were rabid. I mean, like they would like you I mean, you really as a heel, you really could get stabbed. Yeah. And people did get stabbed. Yeah, um, I remember Jimmy Hart man. telling a story about getting getting stabbed. Um heels would get their their uh, their their car tires would get slashed in the parking lot. Um but yeah, I mean, it was dangerous. Like they really could they really could get seriously injured or possibly killed if they weren't careful. Like luckily the cops they would have a lot of police presence there and the police would like basically take them out to keep them from getting killed. Um, and they would have to like leave, like they would leave the arena if they could. And sometimes people, you know, cause they had to be out of the arena before the, the fans got out because if they didn't, they could, they could get hurt out there too. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was serious. Like it was serious to these fans and, yeah. and seeing like dusty Rhodes, everybody loved dusty Rhodes. So to see like oh, yeah. dusty Rhodes get injured after helping Ric Flair. Yeah made it even worse um exactly but yeah and, it and this just, would go it just, on oh, oh it just it just the the notion of that like here's this guy rick flair that obviously you know dusty did have a little bit of a history with and he's just going out there to help him being a good civilian you know helping yeah. this guy out and stuff and then this guy such an asshole bringing in his cousins beating up dusty Rhodes after dusty pretty much yeah. saved him from being beat down i mean like the emotion is there like people are thinking, okay, this is so unnecessary. Why he came out to help the man, and then the man he came out to help with, with work from his cousins or broke his ankle. Like, yeah. like how dastardly is this guy? And like even Magnum Ti was, was saying, uh, Ta was saying in his promo, he was saying like, you know, anybody who watches this footage and has respect for Ric Flair, like I don't know what to tell you. Like you, you lost all respect for me because once you watch this footage. You know, there's no way that you can have respect for a man like this. And, like, you guys know I hate Tully Blanchard with all my passion on my heart. I hate that man. Yeah. But Ric Flair is now on my list, too. So, you know, during this, we can see the building blocks to this Mm -hmm. one of the most devastating factions of all time. Mm -hmm. The Horseman Brothers, like, kind of getting built right here. Yeah, so that would happen two weeks later um, on November the 9th. But, um, the, but yeah, so the way, uh, Magnum's talking about them and then like Flair talks about them in the episode after this, um, I did a lot of research for the show, by the way. Um, so I can talk about this, but the, um, but Flair's talking or, uh, Magnum's talking about talking about them as if they're separate, like yeah. they're not a group yet. You know, he's saying like, I hate Tully Blanchard and now I hate Ric Flair. Well, there's a reason there was, there was a reason for that because at this time, you know, Tully Blanchard was the United States champion. And mm-hmm. like we were saying before, like Ric Flair was like in this like tweener role. So basically, you know, Tully Blanchard was technically the number one contender to Ric Flair's championship belt. So now Tully That's is like, point. Tully is being saying, and of course, I don't know, um, a Magnum saying like, you know, I don't like Tully. Like, you know, he's like one of the most dastardly fellas. But since Ric Flair did this, he's also on my hit list of two. So they're both dastardly, but he's like, he's like categorizing them different, you know? But but then we actually hear on this episode, we hear from Ric Flair saying how he's paying pretty much like the marquee guy. You know, he's yeah. saying he's basically, this is why Jim Crockett Promotions is so successful is because of me. And the reason it's successful, yeah. because I go to all these towns. I go to Tokyo, mm-hmm. go to Charlotte, mm-hmm. go to Greensboro, I go to Asheville, brother. I was like, he yeah, mentioned bro. Asheville. Asheville. Awesome. I was like, yeah, brother. 
we need more wrestlers <laughs> make, make you know get Nashville in there. So I go to Asheville and I win. You know, he's also like, you know who also wins? That I now have <laughs> new respect for? Ole and Anderson. You know who also wins too? This Tully Blanchard guy. Yeah, he's good in my book yeah. now too. And, and like you're like, okay, well look he Rick Flair is basically saying, like, listen. And I like this promo too from Rick Flair. It's very it wasn't like his flashiest promo, but it's very to the mm. point that he did on the show. He was like, listen guys, when you go in that wrestling ring, all right, you go there to win. And I'm not yeah. surrounding myself with losers. Like these idiots out here, I'm gonna surround myself with winners, and the winners that yep. I see is Ole and Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Those are the winners, and that's why I like those guys. It's like okay, well that makes sense, you know? Yeah. So that's like the beginning of the Four Horsemen. So the next week on the show, so we won't get a chance to talk about this on any other Retro Blood. So I'm going to mention this because this was amazing. So the next week they talked to uh, Dusty Rhodes via satellite from his home because he's recovering. Yeah. And Ric Flair's uh, talking with Bill Apter, and they're doing it by satellite over video screens. And Dusty has this amazing promo. We talking to Ric Flair. Ric Flair's talking about how, you know, Dusty's a loser and all that kind of thing and how he's never coming back and Dusty's going to have to retire. And then Dusty just has this amazing promo where he kind of says, he says, everybody's on a time schedule in this life. He's like, I, he, and he's like, I used to believe in you, Ric Flair. I used to believe in you, kid. And call, him calling Ric Flair a kid. Yeah. Is amazing to me is amazing because like you can just tell that I mean Rick had been in the business a, a long time at this point but like he's still like, an up and coming wrestler to Dusty Rhodes yeah he's like I used to believe in you kid but now you're just pretending he's like but I'll give you something to pretend about pretend I'm not coming back oh shit he, yeah he's pretend I'm not coming back he's like but mark it down in, in your book brother I'm on a time schedule and I'm coming back that's awesome and that was amazing yeah those serious promos man. That they used to cut to each other. I mean, that shit. That's that's basically where the the money making promos came from. I would say is mm, a lot of the promos sure. that were going back and forth between Dusty and Flair. You know what I mean? Yep. Like we had a little bit of that before then. You know what I mean? But when it comes to, like the passionate big angle, big promo, I mean yeah. this this really put like a stamp on that being a a trademark that we see even to wrestling even to this day. Absolutely. I mean, it was never done better, in my opinion, than than right. I mean, I think Dusty Rhodes is the best promo of all time. I mean, with Ric Flair being up there, but Dusty Rhodes was the best, in my opinion. And, you know, Dusty does that promo. The week after that is where they named the Four Horsemen on TV for the first time. And then the week after that, or two weeks later, is the famous Hard Times promo from Dusty Rhodes, which goes right into Starcade, which was Flair versus... Uh, Flair versus Dusty for that title. Yes, but I'm yeah, sure. this was like an incredible month of wrestling. Oh yeah, yeah. It just, it just, this right here, this really got Jim uh, Crockett Promotions uh, Mid Atlantic on the map right here. Like this, mm -hmm. this really like, you know, made them survive after WrestleMania and everything of all that stuff that was going back and forth with them and the the WWF. But this is like this is really like a hot turning point for both companies, actually, the WWF and Jim yeah. Crockett, uh, around this particular time, 1985. But uh, a couple of other things on this show, like, so you know that was like the mm -hmm. whole big angle, the whole show. You know, that's the most important, you know, talking yeah. point of the whole show. Uh, other stuff that we had that wasn't as much important, and actually, some of it was just kind of <laughs> weird. So our first match was uh, uh, Jimmy Valiant and and Rocky King. Yeah. What do you know about Rocky King? 
Well, I know a little bit about him. I mean, like I know he was a pretty solid wrestler. Um, yeah. Pretty big into the. Uh, he was in, you know, Crockett for a while. I don't think you've ever got to like big superstar him, but he was a well-known name. Yeah, I mean, like I'm a huge fan of Rocky King for his in-ring work. I mean, he yeah. was somebody that never got really big. I mean, he's he was considered like a. Uh, maybe like a celebrity jobber in a way like yeah. he would he you know he's definitely more than a jobber like we definitely saw some jobbers on this show um but he, he was definitely um, more than a jobber but he would but his job was basically to lose like he, he would, would i think he would have been better in the would, 90s yeah for sure yeah you know, when we had like the more um, wcw ted turner format run mm-hmm. i think he would have well even Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say by then he did kind of join up with the dudes with attitude, attitudes, dudes, dudes with attitudes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he did join up with them for a while, and then you know he he's been on some some pay per views wrestling with those guys. But uh, um, but yeah, I mean he's a great in ring wrestler. I wish he'd gotten larger than he, bigger than he was than he, than he did. Yeah. Um, so this tag yeah. team is pretty interesting. So they're facing uh, Tony Lane and Mike Davis. They're basically mm-hmm. like two guys with red tights and super blonde hair. They yep. basically beat their ass, but then the Midnight Express comes out. Yep. Beautiful body be eaten. And Stan. Was it Stan Lane or is it um Stan Stan Lane. Yeah. Uh and they come out and so they actually so I didn't really I don't know if they kept doing this finisher or this move, but I thought it was like one of the coolest like tag team moves, which I'm surprised nobody does this today. So the midnight, they put Rocky King in a Boston Crab, and then Stan Lane mm-hmm. goes on the top rope and like does from a top rope knee drop on the back of his neck. I'm like, yeah. fuck. Somebody should like yeah, how somebody come, should do that now. I mean, that's a fuck. That's pretty. I mean, fuck. That's a. I was like, fuck, man. Where'd that come from? I never <laughs> seen that before. Like, it's like it's like a. It seems like kind of like a simple move, but it's like, man, that's kind of devastating because. Yeah. If you think about the the logic behind it, like you're in a Boston Crab, so your lower back's hurting. You're not thinking about your neck at all, and then this guy comes in, fucking knee drops you on the neck. I mean, that could be very devastating. So I think somebody should pick up that move. And then we have, of all people, come out. Billy Graham helps them out and fights the heels off, the midnights off. So uh, Billy Graham, I was, uh, you know, you always see like the '70s version of Billy Graham, you know, with yeah. the obviously a lot of people took a lot of stuff from Billy Graham, you know, like Hulk Hogan and Jesse Ventura, Scott Steiner, Scott Steiner and stuff. Uh, but yeah, well the, the Scott Steiner look of is, is pretty much what Graham looks like right here. You know? Correct. Yeah. That's what I was going to mention. Yeah. So we have like, there's like two different versions of the Graham. There's the one with hair and the one with the beard. All right. The one with the beard yes, always looks like, uh, he basically looks like a, the dad of Scott Steiner, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he looks like Scott Steiner's dad. I mean, Scott yeah. Steiner even right, tried to talk like him. Yeah. Um, although, I mean, it's arguable, but Steiner may have actually done done it better. Um, oh, yeah. When it comes to like, the, the wildness, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he probably did that better. But, yeah, you could definitely tell he was he, he modeled the blonde Scott Steiner, the big Papa Pump, is is superstar Billy Graham today. But, yeah, you're right. The the Billy Graham from the 70s with the hat and everything, like, yeah. that's Jesse Ventura. That's, you know, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Hulk Hogan wore the same hat. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people copied all this shit. Yeah, true. So the next match we have, all these matches are short, by the way. Like, if you're looking for yes. good wrestling on this particular show, you came to the wrong week. place. Yeah. Okay. 
So, <laughs> so we have Taylor Taylor, which I've never been a big fan of. Yeah, I just, I just, I just think he's boring. You know what I mean? He's boring. Yeah, he's just very plain. Um, you know, he's just a very. I'm sure he's. I mean, he's a really good technical in ring in ring wrestler, but he's just he's just plain. Well, he is actually the national heavyweight champion. Yes. All right. Wherever the hell that is. Okay. <laughs> and he's facing Johnny Reaper and he just wins. So he wins with like, So, you know, it's it's crazy to watch sometimes like since, you know, I, you know we're going to break kayfabe here, but you know, we live in 2023. Yeah. So it's it's sometimes it's crazy to watch like a full wrestling show, even if you're watching like an mm-hmm. hour wrestling show like Ring of Honor and then watch this and yeah. you see how people lose on this show compared to how they use lose nowadays. So this yeah. guy Johnny Ray, he lost he lost by a middle rope suplex. Like mm-hmm. fuck, we do top rope suplexes nowadays and that's not a near <laughs> fall, okay? Right. So the the best way I can I, I can explain to somebody of how this 80s Jim Crockett Mid-Atlantic television show was like was the closest thing to it is is like you know when the the Blackpool Combat Club came out on AEW and they, they beat up mm-hmm. all these fucking jobbers and stuff in like two minutes. That's basically all the matches on this show. So we have yeah. we have main stars and they just beat up these jobbers with like simple moves. So, yeah. So yeah, he won with his uh, middle rope suplex, and then we have Magnum TA. He he. This is like a two second match. He just won with his belly to belly suplex. Which, you know, later, the only person I know who does this now is Bailey. They actually wins with the belly to belly suplex. But that was like, yeah. T-I, that's like T.I.'s, uh, T.I., T.A.'s fucking main moving maneuver. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The belly to belly suplex was, uh, the, was the Magnum T.A. finisher. Um, you didn't, you didn't get up from that. Um, yeah. what does Bailey call it? The Bailey to Bailey? Yeah. Bailey to Bailey. Yeah. Bailey to Bailey suplex. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I think it's cool that she keeps that alive because nobody else does that. I mean, it's a cool move. You know, you just kind of grab the guy in a bear hug and just like throw him down and fall on him. Um, I mean, it seems like a move that would work. It's effective. Um, but yeah, this is the one where they talk about uh, Magnum being a different wrestler now. Yeah, he's which pissed. is going to lead into his yeah because he's pissed off and he's he doesn't take anything for granted anymore. Like he's not. Uh, it's not about fair play now. It's about winning. And yeah. uh, this is going to – the reason they're talking about this is because it's going to lead into Starcade 85 where uh, Magnum and Tully have that famous I quit match yes. in the cage where Tully – or uh, where Magnum stabs Tully in the face with a chair leg, with a broken chair leg, and he's, like, bleeding down his face. Yeah. Um, which now people would lose their fucking minds if that were on, you know, on a paper. If, if, if WrestleMania ended with Cody Rhodes, like, stabbing Roman Reigns in the face or with a chair leg – like people would lose their fucking minds. Yeah, pretty much. But this is like wrestling back then. Like this is this is the difference between what you saw in WrestleMania and what you saw at Starcade. On WrestleMania, you saw you know rock and wrestling. You saw uh, Cindy Lauper and Hulk Hogan together. And on Starcade, you're in a dingy arena. Yeah. On video with Magnum TA stabbing Tully Blanchard in the fucking face. I mean, yeah. those are different things. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like those are completely. <laughs> Completely different, different sports. We're not even playing the same sport here. Yeah. Oh yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. The contrast between the two shows is pretty amazing. Maybe one day on the lights out, we could do like a battle of the shows or something. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Because they are <laughs> oh, yeah. two exactly different shows. WF's more, mm-hmm. sp- you know, you know, 
big lights, big stars, yeah. slower matches and stuff. This fucking cartoony. Yeah, cartoony, you know, rock and wrestling gimmick. Let's get the celebrities yeah. and the kids on board. Mm. Fucking Crockett's like, all right, we're going to dig deep. It's basically like the contrast you see a little bit now with AEW and WWF a little bit too. So, yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's true. anyways. So, let, I need you to explain to me this next match and this person, Allison, if you can. Uh oh. So, we have yeah. Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Ah, I'm glad you brought this okay. up. Okay. And his manager, wasn't his manager, um, what's his name? Um, JJ Dillon. JJ Dillon, yes. Yeah. And apparently he has he has a new uh, a heater or backer, Thunderfoot. 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 Yes. <laughs> why? Why is Thunderfoot Just a why? thing? <laughs> did you see his? That wasn't what. I, that wasn't what I thought. Yeah, I did with the the loaded boot. Um, but what, uh, that what, was not what I thought on. you were going to ask. Okay. Me. Well. Okay. We'll talk about <laughs> Landale in a second. Okay. But. W- <laughs> So Thunderfoot is a man in a American style lucha outfit. Yeah, yeah. That's red and his tie dye, and his gimmick is yeah. that he has a a boot <laughs> that he has to hit against the concrete to load it up and hits. Why are we doing this? No, I thought they meant that um, the loaded boot that it had steel in it. Is that not what they mean? I get, but why does he hit against the floor? To 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 pack his. To pack his uh, feet, his his toes closer to the edge of the the steel, so that he can kick, kick harder. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Thunderfoot was Joe Deaton, <laughs> um, in a mask. So Joe. I mean, I think I think this g- g- gimmick is goofy, but it's kind of cool though. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you that one. It, you it was you it like was pretty. Thunderfoot. I, I just I just was very like shocked because I was like okay we're in Crockett we're kind of <laughs> we have we have fucking Italian stallion over here you yeah, know what I mean yeah. oiled up dude you know we have all these jobbers and then we got this guy in his tie dye lucha mask with a loaded foot <laughs> I was like yeah with a loaded foot it just that's why it's called Thunderfoot it just it was just so it was kind of odd I'm not gonna lie just a little little, <laughs> it little is, it's odd. really weird it's really weird and then this it nature is, boy really Buddy Landell like the, I I know that I heard a little bit about this guy before and obviously yeah. he was trying to go after Ric Flair and everything but I don't think a lot of stuff I don't think this guy actually like you know got anywhere did he not really I think that no. I I did research this a little bit because I didn't know if you would know the story because I was gonna ask you the story about how this happened. And why it happened, I just think it's really odd. So um, when everybody says the Nature Boy, I can I would bet anything I had that a hundred percent of the people we talked to would say Ric Flair. Yes, but Ric Flair was not the first Nature Boy. Buddy Rogers was. Yeah, Buddy Rogers. Yes. So Buddy Rogers, Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers was the first Nature Boy. But when Buddy Rogers started getting toward the end of his career, he had a match with Flair in 1979, which was the Battle of the Nature Boys. And that made a lot of money. It yep. was a big, it was big business. And then Buddy Rogers retired. Then Ric Flair became the Nature Boy. So now we're, you know, six years later. It's 1985, and now we have another guy, Buddy Landell, who is no Ric Flair. Oh no! Which you know, I mean, I mean, Buddy unfortunately passed away due to a car accident a few years ago. But if you were alive today, there, no offense to Buddy Landell, he's a good wrestler. He's just no Ric Flair. But who is right? Yeah. But anyway, he's no Ric Flair. Um, but he, um, I don't know why this happened. I think that they were just trying to make money off of the fact, make more business off of the fact that 
that the Buddy Rogers Ric Flair match was big business. So maybe they down the road they could build off of this thing where Ric Flair would move would retire toward the end of the eighties, and um, he would pass his this mantle of the Nature Boy on to Buddy Landell. Um, but that just never worked. They did actually I want, uh, later on, many years later, have a battle of the Nature Boys again with Ric Flair and Buddy Landell. But Ric Flair won that and kept the Nature Boy title um, because by then it was like his gimmick, right? Yeah. So um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the thought process was on this, and I cannot help but think that this might have hurt Landell's career. Like if he'd had another gimmick. Other than trying to copy Ric Flair, he might have been uh, more more popular. And th- they must have ended this in the next couple of weeks because he's managed by J.J. Dillon at this point. So J.J. Dillon is managing two nature boys right now. Yeah. But by November the 9th or so, I'm pretty sure that he J- Dillon is just managing uh, the four horsemen. Oh, yes. and, and November the 9th is when that starts. So... Two weeks later, this probably wouldn't be a thing anymore. So um, it is really weird, though, right? It is weird that this happened. Yeah. A little strange. To, you know, sometimes when st- other stuff takes takes foot, man. You know, takes process. Yeah, like, like Thunderfoot. Yeah, exactly. They loaded it up. They loaded up his <laughs> career, and they smashed it with it. With the loaded yeah. foot. So <laughs> the next match we have is a, a simple one. Arn Anderson with his Dick Tracy hat on for some reason. Yes. He loved those hats. On his podcast, he talks about how much he loved those hats that he wore. Because I, I okay, he talked about that before. Because I want to ask him, like, yeah. bro, what's up with the Dick Tracy hat? Yeah, like if you listen to, um, I don't, I mean, I don't, it's probably, I'm sure it's done now. But he he did a thing with Conrad Thompson where he went through his entire career from like the day he was born until the end, mm-hmm. where he's telling his entire history and he talks about the hats and how much he liked them. I think they're cool. I mean, I, I know he's wearing wrestling tights. Yeah. And a hat. <laughs> it was just so random. Like I think he should have so, done it. Like, I think he should have done it more. Shirt. Yeah, he just, like he just basically out there in his boots, uh, knee pads, underwear, and a hat. Okay, and a hat. Right. Like, and but he, the thing it gets me though is he didn't even wear the hat like during promos. No, he just wore it to the ring. Like if, like if, if he, you're right, if him and Ole had come out dressed like gangsters or something, yeah. wearing the hats and suits, that would have been one thing. But like. You know, Oli Oli's wearing like a shirt that says "I'm the best" or whatever, and Rick and uh, and Arn's probably wearing no shirt, and they're just you know doing their promos. But when he comes to the ring, he's wearing you know black tights and a hat. It's just weird. It's odd. But I think I mean it's I think the hats are cool though. So he just wins with a front suplex and Jim yep. Jefferson, and that's it. <laughs> yes. So then we have a Rock and Roll Express squash. So you know what's mm-hmm. weird? Like this is the era where there's belts everywhere. So apparently, yes. Tolly and Arn are tag team champions. I think they're like they're like the national tag team champions, while the Rockinsboro mm-hmm. Express are the tag team champions. So it's okay. Yeah, they're they're yeah they're the tag team champions. They're gonna lose those to the Russians pretty soon though. Yeah, and then have a rematch at Starcade. Uh, my notes for this match say this ended before I could take notes. Yes, yes, it was super quick. <laughs> and then we have Tolly Blanchard, which we talked about him millions of times on this podcast. The United States champions. He wins with his uh, springboard suplex. Yeah, the slingshot suplex, where he, where he, uh, which somebody should bring that back. I mean, I'm sure people do it, but like I could see that being an FTR move. Like, oh, yeah. you just go to the top rope, you slingshot off the top rope, do your suplex. Yeah. Nobody's kicking out of that. I think Austin was doing that for a little bit. 
Wasn't that what the uh, isn't isn't that what the uh, stun stun gun is that what he called it? Um, no, the stun gun is the RKO. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know you're the talking about. His is a little different. Stun gun was when he brought the guy up and then he he like dropped him on the top rope. So it, it was, oh, it right, was with a, his it face. Was, yeah. yeah, his face. It was a, it was a version yeah. of it, but a little different. Mm-hmm. So the cap off this show, we have Jim Cornette doing a promo on Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Valiant and Billy Graham saying they're going to come after them. And then we get this weird promo at the end of the show with <laughs> Billy Graham and Jimmy Valiant talk about Boogie Woogie Man. Talk about J- Jimmy Valiant's like, yeah, I always knew all the whole time that Billy Graham was a street person. Street we're, people. Because yeah. we're, we're street people. All right. And we're just trying to like see my shirt. We're trying to stay alive. Because alive. we like Rocky King and we're street people and yep. we're coming after you. And I was like, when I think of street people, like gangsters, I don't really think of Billy Graham, but okay. No, no. I think that what he's supposed to be, this is just another example of where they're trying to dig into this zeitgeist of the time where these like, there's these like kids living on the street and like, you know, like we're not part of mainstream society kind of thing. And uh, but we're just trying to help each other out. And like, I kind of see that with Jimmy Valiant. I do not see that at all in superstar Billy Graham. But like, you know, like Jimmy says, though, he's like, I always knew he's like, I, I knew he was a street person, you know, and he's he's the guy that's going to get down on one knee and and uh, shake the little crippled kids hands or whatever he says. Um, and then uh, superstar says, yep, I am one of those people, <laughs> I guess, yep. basically, and the show ends. But this is going to lead into Starcade too, because on episode two of Retro Blood, we talked about how uh, the uh, that superstar at Starcade wanted to arm wrestle the Barbarian, um, which happened. Um, but the match uh, that this didn't turn into a you would think this was going to turn into a tag team match at Starcade, but it doesn't. It turns into uh, the match ends up being Jimmy Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively versus the Midnight Express. Interesting. Um, cause the midnight express run in on them. Um, but yeah, this ends up being Miss Atlanta lively, who is Ronnie Garvin and drag and, um, Jimmy Valiant versus the midnight express. Well, there you got everybody making it happen. Like we said, there's a lot, lot going on in the world of pro wrestling and metal music mm-hmm. around this time of reanimated coming out. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a just a crazy week. Like there's just like so much stuff going on. Like we have it, so much to talk about. So much, so much to do. But let's get into the uh, who booked this shit, brother, for Reanimator. So mm-hmm. you know, th- I think this um, this whole Reanimator uh, series and pl- I, I always like it. Like it's very, it is. It's it's a little campy, but a little. I do like the concept of everything. And the director, the Stuart guy, Stuart Gordon, you know, he's done yes. a pretty good amount of films before. One of them we will be talking about next week, which we'll tell you later. Mm-hmm. But I, I always forget that this guy did the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie. Uh-huh. Weird, right? Yes. <laughs> so the- Stuart Gordon, yeah, he's a great horror director, but he also can make comedy. Yes. What a talent. So so this, this actual story of Reanimator was... Apparently, loosely based off the 1922 H.P. Lovecraft series, Herbert West Reanimator. So yep. it was like I, I read the book on that one. Oh, oh, we got a book so, reader over here. 
we got another one of those episodes where I read the book. So. Okay, so we're gonna <laughs> now. Do you want to talk about the differences in the review or right now? No, I don't want to talk. I, I, I might mention it a little bit, but okay. basically, I, I can I can get it out of the way right now. There has never been so. This is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. There has never been a good version of an H.P. Lovecraft story done into a movie because the, the way his writing was, it's almost impossible to make into a movie. So you have to change it to make it into a movie format. Gotcha. So I won't mention it again because this movie stands on its own. It, 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 is, it has a similar theme to it, but it's a completely different story. It's just complete. It's just, it's as different as it can be. Um, you know, so other than a character named Herbert West that reanimates people, there is no similarities and the Miskatonic university. There's no similarities between that. So, so this won't be an episode of, uh, that didn't happen in the book, brother. Um, it's it's completely it's a completely different story. Gotcha. Well, a little bit about it. So the idea to make Reanimator came from a discussion Stuart Gordon had with friends about vampire films. So I guess mm-hmm. at the time that he felt there was too many Dracula films and expressed his desire to see Frankenstein film. Which, mm-hmm. if you all know me, I love me some Frankenstein films. Oh yeah. So someone asked if he had read Herbert West Reanimator by H.R. Lovecraft. Gordon had read most of the author's work, but not the story, which was long out of print. He went to he went to the Chicago Public Library and read the copy. Oh, okay, you just go to the fucking library, no problem. Yeah, weird, weird times. You know, uh, speaking of that, um, when I was a youngster, yeah, and we had library time, I always mm-hmm. went to two books. I always went to the um, if they had like. A history about you know Frankenstein or Dracula, those kind of books. I went through there too, and I had scary. Yeah. Was the scary stories to tell at night? Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? I believe so. Yes. Yes, I always read those two books at home. So I would have been like our boy Stewart over here, finding the mm-hmm. horror section in the library. So originally Gordon was going to adapt Lovecraft's story for the stage, but eventually declined along with writers uh, De- Dennis and William Norris to make it as a half-hour television plot. The story mm-hmm. was set to was set to be around the turn of the century, and they soon they soon realized they would be too expensive to recreate. They updated the present day in Chicago with the intention of using actors from the or- Organic Theater Company. They were told that the half an hour format was not feasible, and so they made it an hour, running thirteen episodes. So interesting. Yeah. So they're gonna make this into like a series, uh, special, a TV show. Yeah, that would have been something. <laughs> Special effects technician Bob Greenberg, who had worked on John Carpenter's Dark Star, repeatedly told Gordon that the only market for horror was in feature films and introduced mm-hmm. him to producer Brian Usman. Gordon yep. showed Usman the script for the pilot and the 12 additional episodes. The, produ- the producer liked what he read and convinced Gordon to shoot the film in Hollywood because of all the special effects involved. Houston made a distribution deal with Charles Band's Empire Pictures in return for post-production series. However, after viewing the initial um, dailies and Empire became involved in the actual product, making a number of suggestions, including the recruitment of Mark Ellenberg has a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff going on. So it looks like their original idea was to make this into like a uh, like a television show. Uh, which kind of makes sense yes. because there is a lot of reanimator like sequels out there. So yeah, which this would have been a weird TV show though. And Brian yeah. Usna was um, he's kind of a famous horror writer, director, producer. Like he worked on um, he made this movie called Society, 
that uh, I'm sure we'll do at some point, but um, it's a it's a classic horror film. He also wrote and directed um, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. Yes. Um, Return of the Living Dead 3. Um, so he's made a, The Dentist. So he's made a lot of... Uh, a lot of like low budget horror movies. That's kind of like his thing. So the the production team was they were basically trying to describe the film as having a sort of a shock sense sensibility has like Evil Dead does. You know, with yeah. like right when the people die and they come back, they wanted to have that more like shock effect like Evil Dead, which they you could tell that they they, they kinda like took took that idea. But they wanted to have good production values like the howling. So Gordon, he cited the Revenge of Frankenstein has a major inspiration for the film, <laughs> which you can sure. see a lot of that on there. Yeah. Um, they did a lot of like, um, you know, makeup. Um, obviously, he was very, very detailed on that. And a lot of this stuff, this is also like one of the uh, the bloodiest films that, um, that the makeup artist Nolan ever did. Um, a couple things on it. So... This guy, we're going to be talking about a pretty good amount of times, and he was the uh, the main actor who played Herbert West, Jeffrey Combs' brother. This guy is fantastic. Like, he does, like, the weird, nerdy, psycho scientist guy very well. Yes. Okay? Yes, he does. I thought he was great in this role. Yep. So, he's, he's great in every role he does. So, he, so uh, Jeffrey, he he never read any H.P. Lovecraft before he casting was taken aback a by the script. He later said he only took the role because he needed the work and assumed the film would never reach a larger scale. Which is like this is like probably like the movie he's like most known for. So, so the the photography began on November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty four, with a six week shooting schedule. Though Gordon had boosted that they finished shooting the film in just four weeks. The biggest makeup uh, challenge in the film was the headless Dr. Hill zombie. Mm -hmm. Tony Dublin designed the mechanic effects and was faced with the problem of proportion once the nine inch of the head were removed from the body. Each, each scene forced him to use a different technique. For example, one technique involved building an upper torso that actor David Gill could be bend over and stick his head through so that it appeared to be on one of the walking corpses was carrying around. Oh, so. interesting. Because I was going to ask you when we got there, like how they did some of these effects. Yeah. Um, especially like the scene where um, the headless doctor, they're holding his head and his, his head in his hands and he's licking, licking Barbara Crampton's boobs. Like, I, I don't I mean, I'm sure that his body's just out of sight, but it's 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 a weird effect and how, how they did that. But anyway, continue on with who booked this shit. Yeah. So <clears throat> so the the creators and the cast of reanimator you know they basically so gordon keek he kind of wanted to make it into like a television show like we we're saying but they basically were telling them like you know the the money is really going to be in a, a movie so that's why they they condensed it into the movie format and then you know so after they actually got done with this the whole collaboration team of gordon and comms uh, this is when they, after they did this movie, they started working on From Beyond, hint, hint. And then hint, they hint. actually did a couple of sequels that are out of the 80s, unfortunately. Um, is uh, Bride of Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator mm -hmm. that happened too. So obviously, um, this, uh, the budget for the film, looking at about 90000 1.3 million, and box office made about 2 million. So this is like one of those films that, 
over time kind of gained a lot of popularity for its cult-like following. So, and it was, of course, it was released October 18th, 1985. But yeah, I mean, definitely a fun one. Um, <laughs> it just, uh, 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 you could see a lot of like influence that it had on this film. Like obviously you could see the evil dead side. You could see the, the yeah. Frankenstein type of mad doctor trying to reborn life after death. Um, all those mm-hmm. kind of like mixed into one. And, you know, they were talking about some of the comedy on this movie. It was kind of like, they, they didn't want to do the comedy at first, but then right when they were going, revising the script, the, the script, they just like, okay, it just we just have to with some of the goofy stuff that we're thinking. We just have to add, add yeah, in the comedy. It, it, it lends itself to a comedic thing, but it's not over the top, though. Like, you know, there's yes. some funny parts in it, but you can tell it's not it's not intended to be a comedy. It's just yeah. intended to have funny parts in it. And strangely enough, like the original the book that this was based on, Herbert West Reanimator, um, was intended to be, from my understanding, was intended to be a parody of Frankenstein, which is why um uh, why it happens the way it does. So basically Herbert West Reanimator is about these two guys, um, Herbert West and the other character in the movie. Um they uh they are basically going to different places throughout these few years and they're trying to figure out a way to bring the dead back to life yes. um but it but it it either doesn't work or it works in strange ways which is you know kind of the parody part of frankenstein where you know frankenstein made a monster or he made a, he put a body together and it worked the first time um but yeah, it's kind of a parody of that in a way, and you kind of see that in this movie a lot. So I would say this movie is a is a good spiritual version of the book, but the story is completely different. Yeah, buddy. But I say let's get into it, everybody. Let's get into the full review of Reanimator. Herbert West is at the top of his class in medical school. How can you teach such dribble? These people are here to learn, and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance. What are He's you? brilliant, but a little weird. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. His experiments have always been unorthodox. It was dead. But lately they're getting out of hands. And he's just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. Herbert West has affected reanimation in dead animal tissue. What are you thinking? How do you feel? You? 15 cc's of reagent being administered. Once you wake up the dead, you've got a real mess on your hands. Dead? Not anymore. Herbert West brought a lot of dead people back to life, and not one of them showed any appreciation. H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of horror, Reanimator. Mr. West. You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head get a job in a sideshow? It will scare you to pieces. 
All right. So we start off. We're in the University of Zurich Institute of Medicine. We're in Switzerland. We see a frantic nurse bring, looks like some cops, to like room 121. And they're asking for Dr. Gerbert or Grubert. Gruber. Gruber. Dr. Gruber. Hands Gruber, brother. All right. And they're trying to break in. They eventually break in. And then we see this man over on top of him, which we find out that his name is, his name is Herbert West. He has a big ass needle with some neon green glowing stuff in it. And he's like, they try to get him off of him. He's like, I need to check his vitals. (laughs) And then the nurse Um, is like, go ahead. I was going to say, I want to mention one thing that's kind of unrelated that some people that I know that listen to the show will bring up. So Hans Gruber, (laughs) this is, this is, this is interesting. And I don't know how these things could possibly be rated, but so we're talking about Dr. Hans Gruber. This is 1985. Mm-hmm. So in 1988, Hans Gruber was also the villain in Die Hard. Wow. So I don't know if they re- exist in the same fictional world or not. Same universe, probably not, but maybe, who knows. But uh, I just think that's weird that Hans Gruber is also the uh, the villain in Die Hard. Well, maybe the guys who like Die Hard were big big fans of Reanimator. Reanimator fans, maybe. Or maybe they make it around the same time. And that was just a popular name to do. You never know. Maybe. But that is a little interesting trivia there. There you go. I like it. So the nurse is like, you killed him. He's like, no. Herbert's like, no, I gave him life. Then we have like this really cool intro, which I couldn't. So is this the original intro or they like added this in? You know, with like the 3D effects and Uh, the. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know. I didn't didn't even think about it. Like, I don't remember. I haven't watched this movie in many, many, many years. Um, I have seen it before, but I haven't watched it in many, many years, so I don't remember if the intro was different. I don't think so. Yeah, it looked but really cool. Sure it looked that. very updated. That's all I was saying. Like I was like, okay, you know, this is 1985. Like I know the graphics yeah. were a little tough back in the day, but this really, really yeah. cool looking intro. It looks really good. Uh, which version did you watch, by the way? I watched the one that's on the shutter. Oh, I didn't even know it was on shutter. I watched it on Tubi. But it's probably the same version. Oh, you see yeah, all the commercials, brother. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just sit through the sit through the ads. Yep. So yeah, this is on Shutter, brother. So now we're at the uh, Mississippi Medical School in Arkham, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, brother. And this yep. is when we meet our main hero guy, Daniel. And Daniel mm-hmm. is a medical student, and he is trying to save. A dead woman's life. He's trying to pound her heart, and he's basically trying all he can to to re- resuscitate this girl. And then we have the uh, the doctor, uh, Doctor uh, uh, Harold. Oh, do- well, actually, Doctor Honrod, which is the the girl doctor in this. Uh, the girl doctor. The girl yeah. doctor. She's basically telling him like, "Hey, a good doctor knows when to stop." Okay, we better. We don't really see too much of her in this film, but she pops up here and there. <laughs> And she's like, yeah. bring this dead body to the morgue. He's like, kind of like upset. Um, and that that plays a, a role later on where, you know, Dan's like, you know, he's trying all his best to save lives. So he brings the dead body to the morgue, talks to the guard for a little bit. The guard's always making jokes when bodies come by. And then, like, Daniel puts the uh, the body 
And like the morgue is like, oh, it's a full house in here. <laughs> All right. And then after this, this uh, is. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, is this the one? This I think this happens a couple of times, but isn't this the scene where. Uh, uh, is it the one where he's talking about the lock? He's like, I don't know why we locked the doors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's like, I don't know why we locked the doors because nobody's trying to get in and ain't nobody coming out. Yeah. But the thing I thought amazing about this was the uh, security guard is smoking inside the hospital. Yeah. There's no problem. Which I guess was not eliminated by 1985. Yeah, you know, in 85, they didn't care. You smoke anywhere. Right. So after he's like, so basically he's looking at the the doctor that we're going to find out. His name is going to be Dr. Hill. Mm -hmm. And he is doing like this brain surgery with a laser. And Dan's just like staring a hole through him. And me too. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? (laughs) All right. And then Dan, he runs into... Dean, the Dean of the hospital, Dean Allen. And then Dean Allen uh, introduces Dan to his newest student all the way from Germany, Herbert West. And I was just thinking first, mm-hmm. okay, we saw Herbert at the beginning of the film over a zombie-like corpse <laughs> of mm-hmm. Dr. Grubert. And it looks like he was being taken away to prison, but he wasn't. And we never really got to explain. also in Switzerland. Yeah. So now he got but transferred. But Germany. Yes. So, yes, he got he got transferred all the way from Switzerland all the way to Massachusetts, <laughs> and we don't really know how. And all basically, he basically was just saying his work was done there. That's the only backstory we got. Mm. So apparently there is so Doctor Hill is the guy with the laser putting the stuff in the brain. He has a a like a uh, a treatment, and he has a theory of the will the will of the brain. Like a uh, like a wheel, and the wheel, yes. And then basically, you could tell that Hill and Herbert kind of like know a little bit about each other because they both, I guess, they both studied under Grubert, and they're going back and forth about you know introducing each other, and just you know very very like nerdy. It's like it's like yes, I know your work, uh, Grubert. You know, was telling me about your work, Doctor Hill. So, so they're kind of like, you could tell that they're going to be at odds a little bit. So this is when we Dean, we see, uh, uh, we see Daniel, he's putting up a little mm-hmm. notice because he needs a roommate, you know, to pay for his, uh, so, you know, obviously he has a student loan, like a lot of us do yeah. in medical school Yeah, and he's renting mm-hmm. out a, a place to stay by, but he needs a roommate. So that's why he put up a little, little billboard to get a little roommate. And then uh, he yeah. gets met up by this girl named Megan, and we see him for a second. Then we see him have some sex, brother. All right. Yep. Megan's played by the great Barbara Crampton. Yes. Who we saw in Chopping Mall, and we're going to see very soon again. Hint, hint. Yes. Yeah, she's around everywhere, brother. She's she's great. She's always uh she does her she does her roles very well. Of what she needs to she's be fantastic. done. Fantastic. Yes. So she is the dean's. Dean, the Dean guy we're talking about, Dean Allen, this is his daughter, okay? And <laughs> so Megan <laughs> is uh, uh, messing around with, with Dan, and I couldn't yeah. figure out, so Dan calls her his fiance, right? But Megan he- doesn't want to go for the full marriage unless he gets his MD license first. Yeah, yeah. Um- I was a little confused by this myself because yes. some sometimes when they're talking, it implies that they've been dating a long time. 
you know, like they're about to get married. Yes. But the Dean doesn't know they're dating at all. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, did he, did he know or did he not know? I don't know. It seems like he doesn't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing I'm not sure about. Like, I don't know if that was a rewrite in the script or something like that to make it confusing, but, but he, cause you know, he's basically fucking the Dean's daughter and he obviously doesn't like Daniel, the Dean, but I mean, he could have, he could know. And maybe that's why he doesn't like him. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it was weird. Like, it seems like the Dean doesn't know that they're dating. But in some scenes, they talk like they're about to get married. Yes. If he becomes an MD. Yes. Yes. I thought that, I thought that line was a little <laughs> cold, even though I don't think it was meant to be. She's like, I only marry you when you get an MD. And the guy's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's inspiration or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. But it's, it's kind of like, yeah. I took that as like, yeah, if you can get to where you make enough money to support my you know, shopping habits. Yeah, that's whatever. what I got too. Then, then, I'll, then I'll marry you, but yeah. So then she talks about house breaking him in there. And then he kind of plays like he's like a Frankenstein. They're kind of like playing around. And then she's about to leave the door. And then she opens the door and Herbert West is right at the door. And Herbert kind of yeah. frightens her a little bit. And Herbert's yeah, basically there. Motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. He, like I said, he did his role very well. Like he plays yes, the he's serious really scientist mad scientist guy like perfect yeah so he's there he, he basically he's there about the apartment he's like did i startle you <laughs> and, I, and then they, they they start asking like a little question oh yeah you're that new student and stuff and like uh didn't you transfer all the way from switzerland and you were studying under dr grubert like you know he's like yes yes and then like he's like looking around you know he saw this room and then he he looks he's like hey let me check out your basement and he says the basement it's like okay i want this place right now like, here's the money. And then, like, Meg is like, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. Like, whoa, I'm not whoa. trying to get involved in all this stuff, but, like, yo, like, why did you, like, why are you here? Like, why did, why did you move from Switzerland? What's going on here? And Herbert's like, well, there's, like, nothing for me to learn down there in Switzerland. So that's why I came here. And I got cash right here. Do you want to take it or not? And Dan's, like, looks at the cash. He's like, okay, you're good. Done deal. <laughs> Done deal. The done deal, brother. So he needs his. Uh, he has a house. He has a room, and he has all the basement to himself. Okay. So now we're at the classroom. All right. And Doctor Hill is showing the class how to open up the skin to the brain. And he says it's basically like peeling like a large orange. All right. Mm, yeah. And then he's basically saying his theory. So his theory is, once you open up the brain and expose the brain. The brain only has about 6 to 12 minutes of life until it becomes brain dead. And then once the... And then, of course, right when fucking uh, Herbert hears that, he cracks his pencil, brother. Mm. And then Herbert... And then uh, Hill gets a little bit more serious. He's like, listen, there ain't no pill. There ain't no medicine. There ain't nothing that you can think of. Once a brain goes to brain damage, there's no recovering it at all. And then Herbert mm. breaks his pen again. And Hill's all like, Mr. West, <laughs> I expect you to get a pen next time over here. And then Herbert's like, how dare you, Miss Dr. Hill, talking all this gibberish to these students saying six to 12 minutes, you know, and you know for a fact that's not right at all. All right. Mm. How about you actually steal some of Dr. Grubert's works? At least you have something to talk about. 
And then Hill's like, listen, listen, Mr. West, I can't wait to fail you. And he just leaves. I was like, oh, fuck. That was intense. That was was intense. I was like, I was like, that's what every kid wants to tell their, that's what every student wants to tell their teacher. Hey, teacher, you're wrong for teaching me this bullshit. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I mean, Herbert West knows that he's wrong. He, he, you know, he's, he's way ahead of, of, of anybody in Arkham as far as, uh, the medical, the science of death, we'll say. He knows way more about that than anybody. Yes. So now we cut to the scene, and now we're back at uh, Dean um, Allen's uh, party. So he's having like this little get-together, and he invited um, Dr. Hill over because they mm-hmm. just got a new sponsor, like a new, new foundation. Uh, and the reason they got this new foundation is because of Dr. Hill's new experimental electric drill. All right, so it's like a breakthrough in scientific study of this electric drill and then how he can study the brain, his whole wheel or brain uh, theory, plus the six to 12 minutes of it still being alive. And that's why he got it. So Megan's there, and she is just like, I don't want to be here. I'm going to go study with Dan. And they're like, oh, why are you leaving? (laughs) He's like, what's going on with this Dan guy? She's like, oh, we're just going to go study. So she goes and gets the door because Dan has arrived. And this is when Hill's like, Hey, um, hey, Alan, do you think it's like wise that uh, Megan is uh, seeing this Daniel guy? And Dan's like, oh, I don't see anything wrong with it. He's like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just putting it out there. And then uh, Megan and Dan start talking to him. Hill wants them to study there with them, but they just want to leave these old guys. And of course, this is when Hill starts saying some creepy shit. Right? Mm-hmm. So he's all like, you know, it's like, it's like, let me make a toast. I'm going to make it a toast to daughters and the spell that they can be under with different people. So he's just saying some creepy shit. Megan's like, look at him. I'm all kind of weird. So Dan and Megan go study. Dan, of course, wants some sex. Like all of us do in their study breaks. That's what I thought the studying mm-hmm. was going to be all about. And then Megan just like, she's just being a little weird. I was like, listen, like, I, I don't want to do this. There's some things going on. It's like, what's going on? It's like, it's not, it's not you. It's just like these little things that are happening. It's like, like West, like, w- w- how come he never gets out of his lab or moves around? We've never seen him eat at all. He's like, I don't know. He just likes to be alone. That's what Dan was saying. He's like, okay, well, what about the fucking cat? Okay. Where, where is the it? cat? I used to come in here, this house. The cat used to jump on a bunch of shit. I don't hear him at all. He's like, I don't know. The cat's like around. It's like, I'm here to have some sex, man. What are you complaining about this cat? <laughs> yeah, who cares about the cat? So they're like, okay. He's like, <laughs> so now they're like, okay, we'll find the cat. Okay, so they start looking for the cat. And this Megan girl with her fucking whispering was, bro, I was like, can we can we get this scene over with? Her, I was like, fuck. I was like, I can't fast forward to shit. And it's like annoying as shit. Now, sometimes I listen to the, the movie, you know, with my headphones so I can, you know, mm. get very clear voices so I can make sure I'm hearing everything well. You know, I got a good sound bar and everything, but I don't wake up, wake up everybody at the house. And just the mm. fucking sissing that was going through, I was like, this is torture. <laughs> and then, like, da- Daniel's like, come over here, you man animal. I was like, what? You man, man animal. Yeah. Hey, cat, come over here, you man animal. I was like, man, I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Me either. So they can't find the cat. So Megan decides to go into West's room. 
And she's like looking around there and eventually sees out of the corner of her eye the dead cat is in his refrigerator. And of course Herbert shows up like, I thought this was a private room. What are you doing in here? Just like, there's a dead cat. There's, look at the dead cat. And of course Dan sees the dead the cat. cat. And he's all like, you killed this cat and everything. He's like, listen, I didn't kill the cat. So what happened was I came home. The cat was playing around the garbage and it got his head stuck in a jar and it suffocated. And I was like, I didn't want to tell you. So I kept it in my fridge. Okay. And I was going to tell you later. And then Dan's like, you couldn't even write me a note or something or give me an, he's like, whoa. And Russ is like, what was the note supposed to say? Hey, found a dead cat. Give you the details later. I was like, boom. This guy got an excuse for everything. Yeah, but uh, that story does. This sounds like bullshit, though. Yeah, like, it does sound cat, like a little bit bullshit. Yeah, cat suffocated because that's head stuck in a jar. Yeah, okay. So I put it in the refrigerator. Yeah, to show him later, and then they ask what that green shit is about. All right, and then he's like, you know, and then he's like, this is when this is when Herbert goes into defense mode. He's like, listen, you ain't gonna get pissed off me about this cat. I'm not gonna tell you what my green shit is. By the way, does the Dean Allen, does he know that you're banging his daughter? And they're like, <laughs> he's like, I don't think he would really appreciate that too much, would he, guys? Okay. And so like, so then they, they kind of like back off a little bit because Herbert knows their secret of them banging each other. So now Dan, he's a, Daniel's asleep and stuff. He gets waked up by these like random cat noises. So he starts searching the whole house and stuff, asks for Herbert. He eventually goes downstairs and he sees like Herbert like fighting the cat on his back. And at first Herbert was like, get out of here. And then he was like, get this thing off me. <laughs> and then like uh, Daniel like gets the cat off him. He's like, what is that thing? He's like, not right now, later. So they start like trying to smash. They have like bats. They have like clubs and stuff trying to smash this cat. And eventually the, uh, the cat is like, jumps right on Daniel and Daniel just takes it and throws it against the wall. And then this is when they start sitting down. They're like, you know, Daniel's like, what the hell is this? Like, what's going on? He's like, and then like, well, apparently like before that happened, like Herbert, like made like a little joke and he started to laugh because he's like semi crazy. So now Herbert is explaining the, the chemical balance of reanimation of putting new tissue into dead animals brains and that's how they can be re reanimated and he's saying that he he has broke the six to twelve uh uh brain dead uh theory and mm -hmm. he can reanimate somebody basically but he's saying like he's he's only used it for like like cats and dogs and stuff he's only tried it on them and he needs help and but you know he just needs a little bit more extra help from somebody so that's why he picked out Dan because Dan's smart and you know he he he's passionate about the job and he has other resources that somebody else doesn't have which is talking about Dean because he's fucking the Dean's daughter yes and then Daniel I was like you ever done this like on a human before and then Herbert gives like the look like oh yeah of course not <laughs> I did not do that before on the guy of course. I would have never have done this yes. before to oh, a person. Exactly, no. no. Of course not. So now, but then Dan, Dan was like, listen, I just don't, I, I, I think you're bullshitting me here. Like the problem, I think you're, I didn't think the cat wasn't dead and you just yeah. gave it something to get it back going. Like he was like in a passed out state. He's like, okay. And, and Herbert's like, oh, you don't believe me? Okay. Can we agree right now that the cat's dead? Because the cat's like basically 
busted up in two places. It's it's in pieces. It's yeah. in pieces. And he's like, oh yeah. So so he gets out and he gets his green serum. That's what he calls it, the serum. The so serum. He, he gets his green animated green serum, and he injects the serum into the cat's brain, and then we can see the cat moving. And now Daniel believes him. So it's like fuck. So now Daniel is back at the the university. And he's telling Dean Allen all about Herbert. He has broken the the barrier, the 6 to 12 brain damage. And he has reissued tissue back into these animals to bring them back to life. And this Dean guy's like, I can't believe you're, you're listening to this nonsense. I could, you're a bright kid. I can't believe you're doing this stuff. And then he's all like, well, fucking your daughter saw it. Because I, at the end, Megan, which the cat was all, she came in and she saw that she screamed. She screamed. He's like, you're dragging my daughter into this nonsense? That's it. If I, <laughs> if it. you if you used any of this uh, uh, university equipment or anything like that with your bogus radical experiments, you will be expelled immediately. All right? If I hear about this again, I want to take away your loan. The guy's like, well, if I don't have my loan, I can't come here. He's like, exactly. And you could tell your boy exactly. Herbert West... He is. He could do his experiments elsewhere because he's like expelled from the school, and then, and then Dan was like, "Man, you're being a little harsh over here." He's like, "I could be even more harsh, so get out of here, and you're going to be suspended for a while." I was like, "Well, that didn't go well at all, did it?" <laughs> <laughs> so after all this, um, <laughs> so now we have, uh, so now we have Dan. Uh, he is now bringing a supposed dead body to the morgue. And the guard tries to take a look at the body, but he says, oh, you don't want to see this bone. It's like hamburger meat. And it's basically he's just building uh, Herbert into the, uh, the, the the morgue section of the hospital. Because they want to do an experiment on the... on he can, Basically, Herbert convinced Alan... I mean, Herbert convinced Dan to do human experiments now. To see if this really can work on humans. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to go into this morgue and find a uh, uh, like a like a sample, like a not like a mutilated body, but they want to find one that doesn't have like a lot of like you know maybe dive like you know that didn't affect the brain any basically. So they're they're walking around yeah. a bunch of bodies, and most of them are all fucked up, but they find one that just had a heart attack with it. So now he's like, okay, I need you to record everything. All right? And Dan's like, I don't know if I want to do this stuff. He's like, okay, I need you to record everything. All right? And apparently it's it's October 10th. All right? There's no... It doesn't look like there's any kind of brain damage on this... Um, on this... Uh, on this body. Uh, the only thing is heart damage. Uh, looks like he's in early 20s and he's in great physical shape. And of course the... The cause of death with heart failure. And it's 10.33 p.m. And then now he's getting the needle ready and to inject it in the back of the head. So, Alan shows up to the hospital. And he, he, he talks to the doctor, Herod, the girl doctor. And he's yeah. like, okay, where, where, have, have you seen Dan anywhere? He's like, yeah, yeah. He was like by the Morgan stuff. He's like, well, he wasn't supposed to be here at all. And I told uh, I told uh, uh, Doctor Hill 
that he, he was not allowed in this hospital at all. And he's like, well, Hill's been in emergency surgery all day. I, I didn't get to talk to him. He's like, okay, well, Megan, you're going to wait here. And I'm going to go find this guy. And I'm going to get him out of here because he's done. And, of course, Megan was all like, no, Daddy, don't do it. Don't do it. Nope. So, <laughs> so the, the, the first dose that Herbert and Dan try to do don't work. So they increase the dosage of the green serum. So nothing's happening at all. The dean is like looking for, he's like coming down to the morgue, he's like looking for him. Um, dollars, you know, so they're, the dean is like, so we can hear Dan, he's being called over the speaker to come to the front. Cause he, and then Dan's like this time, like, oh fuck, you know, I'm, I know I'm pretty fucked. So they go to cover up the body and the body just wakes up, boom. Just like, let's take an evil dead, just wakes up quickly. And he starts freaking yeah. out, the body does. And, you know, the, the, the special effects and the way they made the, uh, the, the reanimated body demons with the blood coming out of them, they look fantastic. I thought they looked really good. They did a really good job. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought all this looked really good. Like, the special effects on this, especially considering the budget they had, I yeah. think looked incredible. So the demon arrives. He's, like, bang, bang, banging on the fucking morgue door. All right? And the dead guys are smashing everybody around, smashing... Um, Herbert smashing Dan away. And then uh, the Dean's like, you know, who's in there with you? And then eventually the uh, the reanimated dead body breaks down the morgue door with the Dean underneath it. He grabs the Dean, fucking throws him against the wall, bites his fucking fingers off, chokes him ass a little bit. Um, Dan tries to save him. Herbert's like, okay, I got this. He grabs like one of those saws and he fucking saws the demon <laughs> right through the fucking heart. Blood everywhere, blood fucking everywhere. All right. And during the melee, Dean Allen died. All right. And then the first words out of fucking Herbert's like, grab the recorder. <laughs> <laughs> Record it. Make Record. sure we get on tape. It's like, and he's like, Dan was like, what the fuck? Is he dead? He's like, yes, he's dead. But this is the first time we actually have a, uh, uh, we have like a, a just dead fresh body. All right. Yeah. That we didn't have to kill on our own. It's like right here. So I need you to get the recorder. I need you to get the serum. And we're going to make this guy comes back to life. All right. And then, you know, Dan is like, he's just going along with everything. He's like, fuck, man, I'm doing a lot for this girl just to not tell him I'm not sleeping with the. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's doing a lot to keep this like sexual relationship uh, afloat. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, damn. For sure. He's like, I ain't going back to my five hands again. Come on, brother. <laughs> nope. Nope. So the so now the the doctor has to leave where she was like looking over Megan. So she the doc the girl doctor leaves and then Megan she leaves. She goes back to the morgue, and then we cut to the scene. It's like okay, Herbert's like I need twenty two uh, uh, CCs, and they, and they fucking inject the green shit in back of his head. All right, and then um, they. And then this is when uh, uh, they're like kind of looking to see if the, the dean will wake up. And apparently it's like 55 seconds and the Dean's eyes open. Yeah. Right? And then he's all like, oh shit. It's like seven seconds and seven, it's like 55, it's like seven seconds or something like that. And then the eyes opened and Herbert's like, oh yes, Dean, you were once very welcoming into your school and now I welcome you back to life. So then Megan shows up after all this. She sees the, cause you know, every time somebody wakes up back from life and everything, they start freaking out. So Dean's all freaking out now. He's like 
throwing himself everywhere. Uh, we have the uh, the uh, the guards come into the uh, into the, the one guard comes in there. Is like, what the hell is going on over here? And Herbert comes up with like one of the best stories I've ever heard. He's like, listen, <laughs> he's like, I was just here with my friend Dan. All right, we were just working on these morgue bodies. Dean Allen just shows up randomly, like freaks out over no reason. Mm. And then Megan's like, no, he was just angry. <laughs> he's like, I didn't finish my story. Let me finish my story. Um, yes. All right. He grabbed this. He's like, and the guard's like, what about that dead, dead, dead body there with the hole through him? He's like, well, what happened was Dean, he grabbed his saw and he killed him again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the cop, and it's like, cops like, the guy, the guard's like, okay, I'm going to call the cops. <laughs> that was the best reaction to any of this that i ever seen and the yeah. most realistic I was like i'm just calling the cops i don't know yeah. what's going on i'm just i'm calling the cops so so now we see a scene of the the dean allen he's now in like the like a like a straight jacket he's in, in the like little room the looney boom room and megan's like yeah. looking onto him like looking at him and stuff um and then this is when dr hill comes in and he looks over and says, like, you know, I can help him and stuff. Um, I would like to see if you could sign over a waiver if I could do some experiment to see what is actually wrong with him because I can't really tell right now what's going on with him. And Megan, eventually, she agrees. Um, she signs over the papers for the details. And then this is when Hill starts being a little crazy. He's all like, he's like, listen, you know, you could talk to me. Whenever you want. You can't talk to your dad right now because mm. you have to keep him in my care. But you could talk to me whenever you want. I know you're very alone right now. Ooh, what a creep. Creepy guy. And she's all like, okay, mm. you creeper. She just gets on out of there. All right. And she's like, I'm going to figure out what happened to my dad on my own. And she like leaves. And then, and then this is when Hill goes in there with some of his men to, to, to corner Dean and to do one of his experiments on him. He's basically going to do his laser experiment on on the Dean Allen reanimated dead body creature. So now Megan, she has ran into Dan. And she she was basically like, you know, what the, you know, tell her, like, you know, what's going on over here? What what happened? She's like, starts to slap him. He's like, and then Dan, Dan says, oh, it was horrible. And she starts slapping his ass, slapping his ass. And he, he, he wants to know, like, you know, what, you know, what happened and stuff. And he's just like, listen, like, your dad is not insane. He is actually dead. <laughs> All right. And you know he's dead. It was Herbert's green serum that woke him up back to life. And now we have to do something about it. And she's all upset. All right. So now uh, we see Herbert West. He is working in his uh, basement laboratory. Mm-hmm. And this is when Dr. Hill comes in. So they start talking to each other. And he's all like, so I need you to explain to me what actually happened to Alan because I know he's not insane. I know he's not that. We both know that he is dead. Herbert's like, I he's told dead. the cops everything. He's like, it's like, I need to see it. Let me see what you have, uh, what, what you've been doing over here. And he's all like, we're both scientists. So I'll get to the point. It's like, I want, I want everything. 
I want uh, I want your experiment. I want it for myself. I want your research, and I want it to be mine. And it's like I want you to explain to me. It's like I want you to, to tell me what you did to make it an appearance of life. And he's like, no, it is not an appearance of life. It is life. Like you said, it is life. I am a scientist. They like stare at each other. He's all like, he's like, I want your secrets and you will do what I tell you to do. And then Herbert gets all freaked out and shit. He's like, okay, here's my book. Here's my book, brother. Here's my HP <laughs> Lovecraft book about the show. Yep. And the guy in the hill starts reading the book. He's all like, Oh, this is genius. You took that old Phil Grubert's work and you made it into into uh, uh, better. You're, you're brilliant. I'm going to be rich. <laughs> so he starts looking. So basically, he, he wants to see a little like experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants to, you know, so basically Herbert's like, okay, I'll show you a little experiment. Here's the uh, my, my serum with the cat tissue and you can look at it. So yeah, so they're doing it, looking at it in a, micro, a microscope. Yes, and then during all this stuff, Dean and Megan they go back to where the Dean is being held at, and he is. He, he, they're looking through some, some papers and stuff, um, to to you know find some more information about Hill's experiment and all the stuff going on there. So Herbert, so now why uh, Hill is looking at the experiment? Herbert backs away. Uh, and he grabs a fucking shovel. And then actor Herbert looks at it. He's like, yes, I will be rich and famous for this. And then Herbert sh- fucking smacks his ass with this fucking shovel and kills his ass and fucking chops off his head. I was like, fuck. Like, I was like, there you go. And then he eventually like puts his head in like like the little uh, pan. And he has to hold it up by the little notepad stick. Yeah. And then he's sitting there mm-hmm. and stuff. And he has like, I like how he's like tapping his head with a pencil, kind of like, you know, like playing it back from the first scene when they're in the school together. And then he's all like, this is her, but he's all like, pieces. I haven't tried pieces yet. Let's <laughs> <laughs> try to bring pieces back to life. Yes. So now like he's going to put his serum in the Dr. Hill's head and body that- to see what happens. Because that would be useful. Yes. So after he did all, does all that, they both wake up, and apparently Hill is the only one that I guess he got him on the right point. Rex could talk a little bit, mm-hmm. and you know, Her- Herbert wants to write down some information. He's like, what? What did you say? He's like, well, what are you thinking? He's like, you are a star. And then the body, the body knocks Herbert out. So we got him all knocked out. So now Megan is going into, like, after they're looking for a bunch of files and stuff in Hill's office, that his office randomly has a room for crazy patients. This happens, this happens to have it, so it's fine. It happens to be there. So she, Megan now realizes that, oh, shit, my dad has been lobotomized with that laser gimmick mm. that Hill's been doing. Yeah. And then during all this stuff, Dan finds a file on Megan with a bunch of creepy uh, uh, photographs of, of Megan and hair locks and stuff, and where, where you can basically see that Hill is obsessed with Megan. So now Wes wakes up, 
Uh, he's like, oh, fuck, all my shit's gone. So Hill has taken every... So I don't know how this... So you got to explain this stuff to me. So we have we have uh, uh, the dead head Hill and the dead body of Hill. They're like, you know, detached, right? So mm-hmm. apparently the detached head and body gathered all of Dr. West's supplies in his laboratory and he moved all that stuff to his laboratory. Do you think he took like the bus to get there? Do you think he drove there? Do you think he just took a little stroll down the street? How did he get there without somebody noticing, hey, this motherfucker is walking around with a detached head? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe he put it in a bag. His head? Yeah, like a shopping no, bag. He did, I don't know. But how, okay, well, what, he didn't have... At this point of the movie, he didn't have a fake head to put on his on his head. He just got to the office randomly. Did he teleport? What happened? Oh, you mean like how the body got there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I you know maybe he just took the back streets and nobody happened to see him. Okay, I'll take that one. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the, best, the best explanation I got. Yeah. So Megan and Dan show up to Herbert and it was like, hey. Hill is actually the true bad guy in this story because his laser treatment is actually a treatment for dead zombified creatures to now listen to all his commands. They figured out that all out. And then Herbert's like, well, this motherfucker took all my serum except for the one upstairs. He took all my serum here. I was like, okay. So -hmm. then we see Hill. He's back in his office. He transported there. Or went through some back alleys and nobody saw him. And he is trying to... He's basically getting his head on there. And he's putting more serum inside him. And he also needs some blood package too. So he's also going to... We see Hill going down to the morgue. And he has like this fake head. There's a little experimental head on there. And he gets past (laughs) the guard super easy. Oh yeah. And the guard, I don't know if he's reading a porny magazine, but he was reading some sort of magazine. Mm-hmm. Doodar. I never even heard of it before. Doodar. <laughs> so, so now the Alan's inside the uh, the Morgan stuff, and he he uh, during this time also too, like Hill, he he let free Dean Allen to go capture Megan for him. That was his draw. Because remember, Hill can now control Dean because of his laser experiment. All right? Yeah, he can now control the dead bodies. Yes. So that's what uh, Dean goes. He goes and he goes to uh, 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 get um, Megan because they, they're kind of like, they all split up. So so now we're at the, Hill's at the hospital. Okay. And he, he he he's in the morgue and stuff, and you can see that he's like preparing some stuff in the morgue. Like he's bringing out all these bodies around everywhere, and he's uh, um, he brings his head out of the bag. And this is when we see Dan. He's trying to, uh, you know, he's basically Dan realizes that Megan is in trouble. Okay, so Dan goes to Megan. He's like, "Hey, you're okay." Like he he. They they finally realized that Dan realizes like okay this Hill guy he he has like this like obsession with with Megan okay mm-hmm. so he thinks he's he he's gonna be the obsession that Hill's gonna go after her and of course Herbert just thinks it's funny ha 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 
Why does he have an obsession with such low life as women? All right. So Dan gets to Megan and they start talking about it. And Dan's basically just very apologetic at this time. He's all like, listen, like, I know you probably don't want to see me again because all the shit that went down. You know, I just want you to, and she, because, you know, Megan's like, I think you should transfer, go somewhere else. He's like, well, I think you should transfer and get a better life. And it's like, I just can't be without you. So they're about to kiss and make up until dead Dean Allen arrives and starts to attack their ass, throws his mm-hmm. ass around, knocks out Dan, grabs Megan, and gets on out of there. So during all this stuff, um, let's see. Hill, uh, Hill's not works. Uh, Hill's not working on a body. And then uh, they have a knock at the door, and I was like, "We'll go get the door." <laughs> so they just open up this door, and it's the dead Dean with uh, Megan's body, and she's all kind of like passed mm-hmm. out. And he puts her, rips off all her clothes and stuff, and puts her right beside his head, and he straps her down. Yeah, because we have to have our obligatory Barbara Crampton nude scene from the 80s in all the movies she's in. Yeah. I mean, duh, bro. It's not, like that a, I'm, not that I'm complaining, yeah. but it's, it's like in it's, every movie. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be in every movie yeah. now. Okay. So he ripped off her shirt and everything. And then, um, so now uh, West, uh, West has waking up Dan now. And he's like, hey, man, you're all right. You'll be all right. He's like, he's like, Megan. He's like, oh, she's probably at the hospital. So they all try to go head to the hospital. So this is a kind of a disturbing scene. So the dead Hill's body is grabbing up all Megan tits. All right. Mm -hmm. She actually wakes up, starts freaking out. And he like grabs his head. All right. And like Mm. brings the head towards her tits and stuff. (laughs) He starts sucking on it. And then, like, leaving blood and goo all over her yes. body. Yeah. And he was all like... I mean, it's a great scene, but... Yeah. yeah. He's like, I always, I always admired your beauty, and I always loved you. Uh, I'm going to have you love me back. And, like, he's, like, kissing her and stuff. And he's about to go for that... Uh, the good old uh, downstairs area. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure what his plan was here, but I guess he was trying to go for, you know what... And then West just shows up like, ha, doctor, I'm so disappointed in you. You thought you were like some sort of high tech, you know, scientist and some sort of respected scientist. All you are is a low class doctor trying to get with one of the (laughs) (laughs) co-ads. And then the doctor doctor like looks around and he's all like, he's like, oh, hell, great. You showed up. And he's like, West, oh, great. You showed up here. Now I'm going to track you down. And they start like going back and forth with each other. He's like, it's like, you know, you, you, it's like, who, who's ever going to believe you about my experiment? You're just a fucking walking dead head. Why don't you go join the sideshow or something? Well, I mean, he does have a point. I yeah. mean, he's literally holding his own head in his hands. Yeah. And you know, somehow he's the, he's the good guy in this, I guess. Yeah. And then, and then like during this, he's all like, he's like, was like, what's your plan over here uh, to get me? And and, and uh, Wes is like, oh, I have a plan. He's like, oh, you have a plan? Well, I have a plan too. And then we see all the, like these dead bodies rise. Because you remember his experiment. He can go into dead bodies now and control them. So basically them. Yeah. what Hill did was he used Herbert Wes's green serum 
to inject it into all these bodies. And then he did his lobotomy uh, laser trick. He has now created his own demon creature crew. Because he wants, because yes. he's basically saying, since I have this, I have the power now, and I've always wanted the power now. So we got it all figured out over here. So they never explain how this works, but we just assume that he can do it. Well, no, well, so, but I'm, I'm, what I'm guessing is, you know, the serum wakes them up after they're dead, right? Yeah. And then his lobotomy treatment somehow he goes into the somehow, brain. That's my point. <laughs> And he, by the sound of his voice, he can control them now. Yep, exactly. So they all start fighting everybody. So we got the uh, all the dead bodies fighting off. And, then you know, I like the way they did these dead bodies. Everybody's, like, naked and, like, demons. It looked pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, I, I, I loved it. it they're, like, great. fighting each other. Um, eventually, so the biggest thing was Megan was trying to get through to her dad. You know, even though her dad is a zombie-like creature. And she eventually mm-hmm. screams at a higher-pitched voice. All right? And then that's the way that she can get him to, to, to realize that it's him. And she yeah. does. And then the, the, the Dean dad eventually attacks. Um, he attacks a Hill before Hill can lobotomize Herbert West. So, so we have some more chaos going Bodies are flying everywhere. The Dean dad, he grabs Hill's head and starts to like smashes it. Like he's like like mm. pushing it in. And then during all this stuff, yeah. you can see the guard, he's like looking on like, what the fuck's going on over here? <laughs> <laughs> and then he eventually, the Dean smashes the whole head in and some of the creatures just start to go wild now. Like they, they are like out of control now. Like they don't have like they're out of control now. Like right. you know how the Borg is and stuff. They're all like one unit now. They're all like spread yeah. across. Okay, like they they don't have like one brain to go towards everything. So mayhem starts happening. We have one girl s- somehow smashes a bunch of smoke everywhere, so we can get a lot of smoky scenes. And Which then, looked awesome. And then, so Hill's body, like, like so, like Herbert's plan was to. His plan was to overdose Hill's body, and that's what his plan was all along. Mm-hmm. So maybe he thought if they overdosed, the thing would just shut down. But apparently mm-hmm. when you overdose the body, it rips open and it uses its organs, has tentacles. That's what yeah, they're becoming super, they super zombies. Yes. So he wraps uh, Herbert in his, in his intestines, throat. yes. Yeah, and then. <laughs> And then Dan, like he, they try to help him a little bit, but he's too stuck and getting wrapped up in, in, in intestines. So Dan and Megan leave, and they fight a couple dead zombie demons out in the out in the hallway. They kill one, and then the flaming body one comes back, and that flaming body one like gets him in the elevator, and I guess it was choking Megan like super lot, and like Dan couldn't get her off her until he eventually mm-hmm. smashes them with an axe. Like he had to go across the hall and come back with the axe. Smash that burned victim's demon body up, and then he notices yeah. that that Megan got basically she got choked out. Mm-hmm. So he brought her body to the the next level. Like they couldn't hear all this ruckus on the first, on the top level. They had to go to the second floor. Sure. And he goes there, and they put her on the um, the bed to try to resuscitate her. And he's just like in the first scene of the where we saw him. I was trying to resuscitate his body, and Megan is dead. And the doctor, just mm-hmm. like in the first that. scene, says. She's gone. We can't do anything for her. Okay. 
don't worry about the dead demons up there. We'll take care of that. And he goes and kisses her. And he grabs the bag that he took. And he has some of that green slime. He's all like, looks at her. He's like, I love you. And we fade out. And we see the green slime going into her back of her head. And we hear a scream. And that ends the reanimator. Yeah. And where, where have we heard that before, right? Yep. And unlike a bunch of shows that we've seen before, this one actually has a sequel. Yes. Just not in the 80s. Unfortunately. Ride of the Reanimator. So. So, yeah. So, what'd you think of this movie? I, mean, actually, I know what you think. But, so, I really liked it. I think it has I the... I think it has the right type of cheesiness. It has the right type of plot. Um, you know, obviously, the with our Mad Scientist Month, this is one of the main movies I wanted to do because it has that, that tone to it of this crazy scientist. It's all about rebirth. It's all about reanimation. It's all about science and trying to make things like logical. You know, obviously, yeah. it shows like, you know, love stories in it too. Um, it shows like experiments going wrong. It has a bunch of like great horror movie, great horror movie demons, 80s demons in this one. Great plot. I mean, I love this movie. I thought this movie was great. I mean, I can watch this one like anytime. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's, it's like one of those things where it's, it's, it's a lost, what they did with this movie. And Evil Dead is a lost art. Like, people don't know how to do this anymore, I don't think. So, you have comedic elements to it, but it's still a horror movie. Yes. It's still scary. It's still gross. It, But, like, people don't know how to do that anymore. They don't know how to make... It's Now, it's either a horror comedy or it's a horror movie. You know, they don't know how to... If it's a horror comedy, it's just got to be full of just goofy bullshit... Um, and if it's a horror movie, it can't have any comedy in it at all. And like, people don't know how to do this, like kind of thing that, um, Stuart Gordon made with the, this movie and the beyond. And a lot of his movies are kind of this way. The beyond is less funny than this, but, um, but it's just like a weird lost art. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it either, but it's like a, it's like a definite, like balance that you have to have, that you have to have to create this between these two kind of things with the the horror elements and the comedy elements, but not make it too goofy as just to be a parody of, of horror movies. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like we're saying, like it had those two elements in it that you don't really see, you know, like mm-hmm. there was, there was points in the dialogue that it was funny and there was stuff that looked like it was funny, but it had like, it was trying to be like, have a serious overtone to it, you know? It just so happened that some of the parts were just kind of like ridiculous in this way. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, these I classify these ones as very like fun, you know, horror movies. Like, you know, just a bunch of like blood and like this reanimation. It just, it's just a very fun visual to watch. Um, the acting in it was great. Um, I love both mm-hmm. Herbert's West characters. I like Dr. Hill's characters. I thought they played great um scientist mad doctors uh dan has like the the hero guy in the movie he was great um you know the megan character you know for being what she was and the being the uh the 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 lone female of the the movie in here i thought it was great too so very very fun one over here and uh you know obviously reanimator is one of the most like fan favorite horror movies that are out there and it definitely lives up to what it what it should be no, oh, yeah, yeah. So, everybody, that is it for the Retro Blood for today. 
here talking all about Reanimator, but join us here next week as we continue our Mad Scientist Month with the actual creators of Reanimator Brother, the movie they did mm-hmm. almost right after this movie. That still sh- that still has our boy in there, uh, Jeffrey Combs, because we're going to be Jeffrey talking Combs. all about From Beyond. Yeah, and Barbara Crampton's in that too. Oh boy, there we go. We're fucking, we're ready to go, brother. Can't wait. I actually never seen this one before, so it's I'm great. pretty excited about checking out From Beyond. And of course, n- next week we will tell you our mystery episode we're doing. At the end of this month, the wrap-up Mad Scientist Month. But everybody, let's go out with some music. I say let's let's go out with some uh, Possessed over here. And how about we talk about the track off Seven Churches. Let's talk about Twisted Minds. Yeah, nothing suits that more than uh, this movie, right? It's full of Twisted Minds. It's full of Twisted Minds, brother. We got Herbert. He just wants to reanimate some dead tissue and to, mm-hmm. and to, to beat the 6 to 12 brain dead cycle. And of course, he'll, yep. he just wants to conquer all of humanity by making laser dead body demons do all the dead mixed up zombies. So, I mean, this was like the perfect mad scientist movie. So I loved it, everybody. Yes. So, everybody, check us out here. All the archives of Retro Blood. Check us out here next week for From Beyond. And we will see you later. See you guys.